Ladies and gentlemen, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman Report for today. It is Monday, May 7th, 2018. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Thank you so much for your belief and your trust in us in this these crazy times in which we live. i got to tell you, uh, we have a great show lined up for you tonight. Uh, we've got Charles Ortel coming on to discuss the, uh, the, the, the Clinton, well, the Clinton Foundation that... The investigative work product of, of Charles Ortel looks like basically, well not basically, looks like a fraud, um, in every sense of the word. And he's going to be breaking that down in, during tonight's program. It's going to be an extended uh, appearance by Mr. Ortel. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Meanwhile, uh, folks, go to HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com for all information, news, Showtimes, show interface, hagmanreport.com. Make sure to bookmark that. Also, follow us on YouTube. Subscribe to YouTube and, uh, subscribe or follow us on BTR as well. And you can listen as well on, uh, Global Star Satellite Radio. But, um, uh, the, I was, I was looking at Charles Ortel's reports and he's got many of them published. Many, um, links to the, Emails or the uh, foundation. I'm sorry, the uh, Clinton Foundation and the really the investigative pro- work product. Also, he appears every Sunday with Jason Goodman on Crowdsource the Truth to break it down. Could it be that we're closing in on the Clinton Foundation as a uh, fraudulent enterprise? Uh, that's a question, not a statement. And my answer to that is, I it looks that way. Now, uh, I mentioned emails before. In addition, some very interesting, and I'll just lead off with this, uh, very interesting information about the Hillary Clinton server found at the FBI or found in the FBI uh, storing it. This is reported on the Conservative Tribune. And I'm just going to cite from this because the, for Americans already suspicious of <laughs> Hillary Clinton, yeah. Okay. And, and her supporters who are hidden within the federal government, WikiLeaks is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, and it's true. Now, during the 2016 presidential campaign, it was the slow drip of revelations, uh, from WikiLeaks that helped doom the Clinton candidacy. Now, this is written in conservative, conservative tribute. But when you start following the dots, you're going to see something that's just unbelievable. But it, it, uh, it, the WikiLeaks the revelations helped doom the Clinton candidacy by exposing its rigging um, of the Democratic primary process in favor of Hillary, the DNC, in favor of Hillary, and against Sanders. So they went for the communist, not the socialist. And, and of course, the uh, publicizing the machinations of the Clinton campaign manager, John Podesta, compliments of WikiLeaks. So WikiLeaks is, is now, uh, or WikiLeaks now, is publicizing revelations about the FBI investigation of Clinton's private email server when she was Secretary of State 
and and folks, this should be setting off alarm bells everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Joe buried in the FBI files that were released under the Freedom of Information Act uh, is a nugget that WikiLeaks posted on Twitter this past weekend. Yep. And <laughs> do, do well. Here's the Twitter. New FOIA, new FOIA docs show that FBI lost the chain of custody for five weeks of Hillary Clinton's server. Say they lost the chain entirely and created a new one. So if you go to the vault on this and download the, the FBI, uh, the PDF there, it's an amazing find. Um, so what's going on here? That's my question. So, Joe, I mean, uh, this well, is the, big uh, news. Well, what they say is August 12, 2015, the FBI obtained a Dell PowerEdge 2900, which was yep. gray in color. The item uh, was entered into evidence as item was that 1B3 of the captioned investigation. The item was directly transported to the FBI Operational Technology Division the same day, and it was lost on August 12, 2015, and was found again October 20th, 2015, picked up where it was discovered that the original chain of custody was missing. It was then placed, transported to the Washington field office, placed into secure storage, and a new chain of custody was created, beginning with the special agent who found it. And it doesn't say in relation if this special agent also lost it, uh, and the name is redacted. So you have, what, for five weeks, a period of time, where there is, they lost the Hillary Clinton server and that there is no chain of custody or paper trail showing whose possession it was in, who had it, who maybe played with it or, or, uh, you know, chain of custody is an interesting thing. But what it is is uh, from police officer to police officer to, uh, lawyer, you have evidence that's collected, it's put into a bag. You have the bag sealed and the person who collected and sealed it has to sign it and put their initials on it. Well, the next time anybody looks at that, they have to break the seal, leave that seal there, and put a new one on. So each time it is uh, switching hands or, or switching locations, there is a, a chain of custody. You can track progress of who had it, where it was, and and so forth until the trial. So you can say, uh, this piece of evidence was collected at this crime scene. It was uh, by this police officer. It was examined by this uh, detective or, or tech, and it was, uh, you know, prepared for trial by this person. So you have the whole history of since it was in custody, where it was, and where it went, and who handled it. Here, yeah, exactly. you don't have that. So what, <laughs> you know, how convenient. What else can be said? I was looking at this. The There are 21 PDF files that relate to this or about this. In the uh, PDF file 1 or, or part 1, the key page or the key uh yeah, the key pages would be pages four and six. If you go to part twenty-one, the uh, key page there is uh, eight and nine, where the chain of custody issue is referenced. Now, the time, where okay, to to expand further, this according to Katika GOP poll analyst Twitter handle, and I'm citing her. Hillary's Dell PowerEdge 2900 that the FBI lost chain of custody for 
think about this, was used from March of 2009 until uh, June 30th of 2013. That's almost the entirety. That's almost the entire time of her tenure as Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. Now, you talk about contaminating, either deliberately or unwittingly contaminating an investigation. When you lose chain of custody, you cannot prove authentication. So, um, believe me, the loss... Uh, is it not only... Oh, isn't it everything I, I that's on the computer so they can't... They can't say for sure now. No, it's everything that what's the original. Or what's... No, it's it doesn't. No, 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 okay. no, no, no. The bottom line is that whole uh, that whole computer, that whole device, cannot really. You, it, I suppose it could in a, in a very strange way, but the uh, the loss of the chain of custody would be. Th- I mean, that piece of evidence would be thrown out in in criminal trials. Yeah, any lawyer worth uh, oh their salt, my goodness, would get it now, tossed. You think, okay, well, maybe, uh, you know, because of its, because it's an electronic package, just maybe, if the stars are lined right in this, you know, maybe, um, you could have an FBI tech in there and say, well, nothing happened to it during this period, but you gotta be kidding me. That's not gonna, it's not gonna be that way. So, every American, I believe, should be, should be angry at this. And, and you talk, and, and by the way, let me think. Um, the FBI director at the time, uh, what was his name? <laughs> um, it reminds, it, it, it rhymes with, uh, show me. It, it rhymes with, uh, uh, comb me. Yeah, it said comb me. Alright. So, the FBI's got no credibility at this point. It's, they're gone. In terms of comb me. Corruption. Credibility issues. If, if folks, if you're not angry about this, then you're not paying attention. The distrust in the FBI, uh, the the Bill and Hillary Clinton effect to contaminate everything that they touch. This is what we're looking at now. Just to be clear, the loss of the chain of custody does not necessarily mean that it was out of FBI hands. But it does mean that the FBI can't prove its whereabouts. It's a distinction with a minor difference, but nonetheless, it certainly can't be used as as evidence in, in a criminal trial, given the fact that it can't be authenticated. And where was it? And, and any defense lawyer of any of any caliber would just shred the, the FBI and the prosecution on this. So it basically destroys the server's useful, usefulness to the prosecution. But then again. Do we need that? Because was there ever going to be a trial? Yeah. yeah. Um. And and when you look at this, you, you this drives home the point too at, at the periphery that it looks like the FBI uh, really thought at the top tier, really believed, I suspect, that Hillary Clinton was going to win the presidency, and this reinforces that. So. Again, WikiLeaks is still helping Americans, and, and and I, you go back to WikiLeaks, and there are people out there that, that said, well, they're they're not, you know, WikiLeaks is un-American. How how dare WikiLeaks? Well, let me tell you something. How else would you find something like this out had it been had it not been for WikiLeaks? It it is indeed the gift that just keeps on giving, as is Hillary Clinton. You know what? With a cloth 
I, I just, I'm, I, it's just, it, it, I don't know what else to do at this point except to say, you know what, we have to just wipe this, wipe the entire um, top tier of the FBI, Department of Justice, out, and start all over again with people of credibility. And you know what, we we also have to uh, really push for the uh, filing uh, criminal criminal charges against Hillary Clinton. Into into the, the the Clinton, uh, you know, the people, who, the people who have raised Clinton up on a pedestal, and who believe, you know, these snowflakes, snowflakes who believe that she's without sin or that her sins are minor. This should tell you everything you need to know. So, again, tonight uh, Charles Ortel coming up. You're not going to want to miss this. Charles Ortel is going to be talking about uh, the Clinton Foundation, his findings. Again, he appears every Sunday, Sunday with Charles. On crowdsource the truth, Jason Goodman, a very good, very good uh, uh, pair, a very good team that they they make. Not to focus too much on Hillary, but uh, I was showing the guys here at the studio a picture that came across my desk this afternoon, and now I see it is up on Drudge. It's not really important. Is Hillary Clinton wearing a back brace? And there are pictures of what they're saying is either she's wearing a a bulletproof vest. Or a back brace while in her, uh, overseas trip. I believe she's in India. And, uh, some comments on Twitter say it's a stab vest. But, uh, something's going on with her and she's still out, out and about, you know, uh, doing these public appearances and speaking out against Donald Trump and why she lost the election, but definitely wearing some kind of, uh, contraption underneath her, uh, jacket there. So just something to, to take note of and very interesting. And uh, on, on politics, I don't know how many... Yeah, that's the picture, Eric. Thank you. What do you there think? It, it doesn't look like a bulletproof vest, does it? I don't see the shoulder. No, uh, no, not unless not unless it's from 1980. Yeah. Okay. So that, and they do in the article, if you scroll down, Eric, you can see, uh, you don't have to show it on, but they do have what type of brace they believe that it is. But, I mean, what are we seeing here with Hillary Clinton? You have the, the anti-seizure sunglasses, you know, a foot brace, a, a leg brace, a hand, you know, broken hand. Now, potentially a back brace. Could you imagine? I mean, just thank the Lord again that she's not president of this country. Okay. Yeah. So, so that that's you know perhaps. Thanks, Eric. Perhaps if, if those people who are listening on Global Star, if you just tune into YouTube and uh, later, and you can see the the images. This uh, this on a tw- this is from Twitter feed. It's a possible back brace. Yeah. And, uh, but but who knows? Uh, yeah. Th- there's something there. Of course, she's healthy, much healthier than Donald <laughs> yeah. Trump. And there's nothing to see here, folks, so move along. Remember even when she was collapsing, you had yeah. websites like Snopes and news agencies like CNN, uh, you know, just tearing down anybody who was questioning her, uh, physical capacity and her, and her health. And uh, here, you know, uh, and this was at a time when, when President Trump, at the time, candidate Trump was hitting three, four cities a day in rallies and she would be lucky to get one appearance in a day. But I mean, just, you know, just imagine if things went the other way. I, I, I'm very glad they didn't. But uh, one last thing here. I don't, I don't know. I didn't really want to get into this. How many people saw the skit on Saturday Night Live? Yeah, the openings. Did you yeah, see it? I watched. I watched specifically. Yeah, that's been segmented. And it's on YouTube. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty disgusting. I thought the whole thing was pretty disgusting. Go back to 1975-76 when you, when Saturday Night Live first came out. It was halfway decent. Now it's just a bunch of garbage. Yeah, well, uh, there's a Joe Piscopo blast Stormy Daniels, who made an appearance on Saturday Night Live. Uh, Stormy Daniels on SNL joins alum of critical left-leaning shows' treatment of Trump and conservatives. 
And this is a story on, on Fox News that outlines not only this latest Joe Piscopo, who's joining the growing group of Saturday Night Live alumni who are speaking out against the bias against Trump, uh, he's just the latest one, and they go through all these different, uh, you know, headlining and, and main players of Saturday Night Live who have spoken out against the liberal-leaning bias. But did they go too far on the Saturday Night Live clip having Stormy Daniels in there? And I, I thought it was kind of funny, you know. Like I said, I have a twisted sense of humor. But the uh, the ending there was definitely uncalled for, having her on and whatnot. But the and many people have debated this, and this is not really a topic for right now, but is the uh, comedic age dead during Donald Trump because it seems that the any comedy that is uh, sticking up for the president is outlawed and uh, it just seems everything has become so political there are many people who pay attention to these things are saying that comedy is dead in the age of Trump and that's pretty true because that's all they seem they can seem to be focused on and it's not funny as you said it's not a from a creative you know, poking fun angle. It's at a, uh, a dis- it's a dist- destructive force where they're, you know, uh, going right for the personal low blows. The same thing that they say everybody else needs to be tolerant of when dealing with other people. But it really is. It's, it's a sad state of affairs. Yeah. I want to, I want to mention this. Charles Ortel is going to be talking about this as well. Um, or I'm sorry, 930 at the bottom of, of, Peter Chaco won't be on tonight. So from, uh, hopefully we can keep Charles, Charles Ortel on for that 90 minute segment. And then at 9.30, uh, the last half hour, Greg Hunter will be joining us to talk about John Kerry and, uh, what he is doing. I want to just mention this because I'm not going to steal any thunder from, uh, Greg Hunter. Greg Hunter's pretty, pretty, uh, piped up, man. He's, he's pretty wound up and, and for, for good reason. If you look at what John Kerry has been doing, remember, as president-elect, Donald Trump came into office as president-elect and met with, oh, maybe one or two or three or four foreign leaders or emissaries for foreign leaders. Yeah, you can't do that. That's a violation of the Logan Act, okay, which is laughable, laughable because... I think the Logan Act was, uh, what, 1789? It, it was, it, but it, no one has ever been prosecuted under the Logan Act. All right. No one. Yet back then you had Sally Yates of the Department of Justice saying, Oh, it's a violation of the Logan Act. Okay. Clearly, clearly it was not, especially when you've got a president elect. Now you've got John Kerry, who apparently no one has anyone told John Kerry that he's no longer Secretary of State. Or did that just, uh, seriously, he's going around and meeting with, with mullahs from Iran in violation of a never prosecuted Logan Act. But see, it, it, the Logan Act's only relevant, which again, no one's ever been prosecuted. It's a joke. Yet, of course, John Kerry now is in violation of the Logan Act, except, except he's, he's a, he's a communist slash democrat or democratic socialist. So, you know, He's, it's okay. Um, so, uh, the Logan Act, by the way, for, just for those people who don't know, it permits uh, unauthorized people from engaging in any kind of negotiations with foreign entities and governments that are involved in disputes with the United States. So Iran would qualify, of course. 
And the Logan Act's intention, of course, is to prevent those unauthorized negotiations from undermining the current position of the United States. To me, this falls directly, let's make John Kerry the, the precedent for violating the Logan Act. Because, to me, that fits the Logan Act to, right to a T. So, there's that. The uh, Logan Act passed in 1799 prohibits Some private ten years citizens. Off, years off. Yeah, prohibits private citizens from acting on behalf of the United States government in disputes with foreign governments. And President Trump issued a tweet about this. Uh, the United States does not need John Kerry's possibly illegal, illegal shadow diplomacy on the very bad negotiated, badly negotiated Iran deal. He was the one that created this mess in the first place. Him and Obama and Valerie Jarrett. I mean, he, he, look, he, here's some coverage about the, the John Kerry and the Logan Act here. Just a few headlines, okay? Um, Buck Sexton, John Kerry's freelance Iran nuke diplomacy is wrong in every way. Yeah, it is. It Where's really the is. outrage over Kerry's collusion with Iran? This is from Jonathan S. Tobin, and that's from uh, the National Review. And, of course, we've got Trump's, Trump rips Kerry for possible illegal shadow diplomacy on Iran deal from Brooke uh, uh, Singman. This from Fox News. Yes. So there you've got three different articles. And where's the outrage? Where, where's the outrage? And just, and I know Greg Hunter's going to talk about this, yeah. but I guess we can transition this to another story with the, the unequal application of the, under the law. Rosie O'Donnell has made the news, and I don't know how many people check Hagman Report each day, but if you, you do. If you don't, if you don't, please do. Yeah, if you do. You must. Not only is there the section, uh, exclusive reports under the banner where the, the, uh, pictures roll by, it says exclusive reports. Right next to that, it says in other news. And the only reason I bring that up is because I was checking the stats today, and it looked like uh, we, we have little to no traffic there, and I try to post at least six to ten stories there a day. But up there, you see that at the top, nothing nefarious. Rosie O'Donnell sloppily over-donates to five national Democrats. She didn't sloppily do anything. Under five different names and addresses, she over-donated to Democratic candidates. The same thing Dinesh yes. D'Souza yes. did in a Throw just a her different way. fat, white, ugly, behind, in jail. Prosecute her like they prosecuted Dinesh D'Souza. And do it now. And John said earlier, he was given eight months of house arrest, or a halfway house, five years probation, and was made a felon because of that. What he did was ask uh, two couples, husband and wife, to donate a certain amount of money to a political candidate. He then reimbursed them. That was the beginning and end and extent of his crime. Rosie O'Donnell here wrote different variations of her name, like Rose uh, O'Donnell or or uh, Rosie O and then Donald, and then sent with five different addresses, overpaid these five Democratic candidates, which, as Mark Dice pointed out in his video that he did today, ignorance of the law is no excuse. And we see, like you said with John Kerry, what they tried to, you know, put on General Flynn, what they tried to put on President Trump, the the Logan Act. Well, with John Kerry, with Rosie O'Donnell, are we going to see the equal application of the law when it comes to the other side? So, so you've got you've got this this overweight, obese, lesbianic, white, unfunny, unemployed, pathetic pustule-like human being. Is she employed? Well, Hollywood employs her. Okay. 
and, and and she and she deliberately and this is not a mistake we we don't we don't move the apostrophe to the to the left three spaces or to the right three spaces she deliberately deliberately circumvented campaign finance deliberately did this i'll tell you what where's the phone let's call dinesh up and ask him how right. to, how yeah. he feels about this Okay, prosecute her and do it today. I'll tell you what, I, and I'm serious about this. I am going to buy stock in, in the companies. I'm going to find out. Hey, Eric or Jackie, uh, would you do me a favor? Would you find out the, the, who makes pitchforks and also the torches? <laughs> the torches. All right. Well, I'm buy, Look, even if I can buy, can I buy like a hundred dollars a stock or something, or maybe two hundred dollars a stock in those companies? And we're, uh, I'll tell you what, we need to, we need to march uh, on Washington with a symbolic pitchfork and torch, and we need to demand, not, not, uh, Washington, we, to the Department of Justice and the FBI, they're right across the street from one another, so it's, it's, it's not, 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 I mean, it's an easy trip. And let's demand action. I'm sick and tired of this dual system, and you should be too. Yeah. And, and you know, I got some Canadian yip yap up there, uh, saying, you know, uh, well, Obama, you know, you, everything you said about Obama, you, you still have freedom in the United States, right? You're still allowed to say, you know what? What are you, a moron? I'll tell you something. If, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Look, we know how the story ends. Be of good cheer. We know how the story ends. But, we still have to fight, don't we? Because we have to occupy. In fact, we should get, I wonder if Coach Dave's listening, maybe get him on and, and talk about occupy for 20 minutes. Look, we have to do what we need. I mean, we need to, we need to fight. We need to fight. We need to really, um, expose at every turn. And we need to do this on a local level, on a state level, and on a federal level. We need to get in their faces. We need to, we need to get, go where they work. That's Congress. Where they work. That's the Department of Justice. That's the FBI. Where they live, as far as I'm concerned. That's fair game. Because that, the, the, the places where they live were paid for by our tax dollars, ultimately. Let's do it. Listening to the Hagman Report on this seventh day of May 2018. I'll be right back. You stay right where you're at. Network break. Coming up uh, top of the hour, Charles Ortel. He'll calm me down. Welcome back to this edition of the Hagen Report. Joe did, upon his research, said, you know, hey, lesbianic is a real word. In the Urban Dictionary, yet the yep. fine website. What, what is it? What is it? Uh, just it's, to boil it down, it is to be, yes. Hyper-lesbian. Yes. I can't think of a better word other than, uh, what, I mean, we mean fat shaming. Stop it. I'm fat. 
So I'm allowed to say uh, wide beam for Rosie. <laughs> Lesbianic wide beam. Seriously. Uh, and, and a criminal. So uh, I'm allowed to say that. Remember she, uh, I'm not offered... a lesbian, lesbian or, or whatever. Via Twitter just a few months ago when the uh, Congress was getting ready to vote on President Trump's uh, tax plan that was passed. Remember she offered openly on Twitter to pay senators $2 million each to vote against it? Yeah. And she'd never gotten any trouble for that either. Yeah, so. I, I, we're, we're keeping track of these crimes, by the way. We are. I've got a board back there. And on the board are actual um, actual crimes under Clinton, Comey, uh and the rest. So anyway, folks, business is booming today. I'm serious. Have you tried to get like a, uh, try to get a landscaper? Have you tried to get any, like a handyman kind of person? There are a lot of businesses hiring. You know what? I'm, I, let me talk to you, the business owner out there. I know we've got uh, tens. I'll tell you what. We've got thousands. I was going to say tens of thousands, but I know we got thousands of business owners out there. People that make the hiring decisions. Let me talk to you. If you are in the market for that 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 person that you need to fill that slot that you're looking for, or that that you've got open, ZipRecruiter is the place to go. ZipRecruiter.com/slash/Hagman. I'm telling you right now, get on the ZipRecruiter train. I, I cannot recommend this service any more than this. Uh, I, I I now know three. Three businessmen that I've been in contact with who have used ZipRecruiter with absolute great success. So if you're hiring, every business needs great people and a better way to find them, something better than just posting your job online and praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew that there was a smarter way. So what they did was they built this platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for. They, they identify the people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. These inv- invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes, and I mean all sizes. The the one gentleman that I, I don't have his permission to give his name, but he operates a a uh, very elite contracting business, and he was working with or talking with my neighbor. Anyway, long story short, use ZipRecruiter. It was two days with him, and that was back. Let's see, what is this? Uh, May. We were talking right before Christmas. So, and they're working, he's working out just fine. So right now, listeners to this program can try ZipRecruiter for free. You can't beat that. For free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. It is the smartest way to hire bar none. Now, I want to tell you, April, 20, 21, and 22. There was, something happened during that weekend. If you were at Occupy 2018 in Canton, let me tell you something. You were part of something special. The speakers were phenomenal. From Paul Begley to Coach Dave to L.A. Marzulli to, I mean, you name it. They were just phenomenal. Russ Dizdar. 
I learned a lot. I met so many great people. And everyone who walked out of there to the person said it was a, just a nearly life-changing experience. We've got the guy. America's coach. America's coach on right now to talk about anything he wants, but maybe a debrief on Occupy 2018. Coach com. Coach Dave, America's coach. Thanks for joining us on Short Notice. Doug, i got to tell you, I was, I was, I was laughing. I was sitting here. I, I listen to you guys every night. I was sitting here laughing. i got to tell you something, man. I love it when you come unhinged. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think down inside that suit that you wear, there must be a, an old a barrel chest, hairy chest wrestler inside you, buddy. <laughs> every time it comes out, it, it encourages me. I want you to know. And, you know, I share those sentiments, and I share the, the sentiments, actually, that Joe's talked so much about. One of the things, you know, the Bible tells us that hope deferred maketh a heart sick. And, you know, we see this kind of stuff that happens with Rosie. We could just go on and on the stuff that we see that's going on with, with the FBI and Comey and Doug and Joe. You know that if that happened to you, if it was one of the people on our side, we would already be strung up, man. And we sit around and we watch this double standard go on. And you know what, Doug? Nobody gets mad. Nobody gets mad. You know, I think part of it is, uh, we, we misunderstand our faith. Say, what do you mean? I mean this. The Bible says that we should not let the sun go down on our wrath. And most of my life, Doug, I thought that meant you're not supposed to get mad. Don't sleep on your anger. Don't let that get inside of it and have nightmares and all of a sudden. Doug, that's not what that means. The Bible says for you to know to do good and not to do it, to you it is sin. And there is such a thing as righteous indignation. And I'm sitting sitting here tonight listening to you, and my 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 blood pressure's gone up, and I'm saying, yeah, hell yes, Doug, somebody do something, somebody do something. But see, we we've we've got this version, we've got this idea of Christianity. We're just supposed to rule over and let them have it. And and we know this from Saul Alinsky's rules with radicals. What was it? Rule number four, rule number five. One of them in there makes them live up to their own standards, and we have become our own worst enemies because we do not fight to win. We fight to tie. I can't figure out why we fight to tie. And I, what we're seeing is a, Doug, it's a generation. It's, it's been a generation-long thing that's been going on. And, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, so we watch what's going on with, with a deep state, and everybody begins to question whether which side uh, Jeff Sessions is on, and why isn't this guy doing this, and where's Trey got it, where are all these people, and I, I just got to I just got to believe, brother, that we have just laid so low so long that uh, we don't even know what it means to fight, and the other side really isn't that afraid of us. And I remember that back back in 1997 when I originally got sued by the American Civil Liberties Union for praying with our football team. Had the hardest time, Doug, find somebody who would fight, who would go on, who would go on the offensive, but somebody who would grab a stone and run and and slay that uncircumcised Philistine. Everybody wanted to, we wanted to play defense. We wanted to, we, that, Doug, we wanted to, we wanted to win without making the other guy feel bad. And my football training, Woody Hayes said, never saw a football player make a tackle with a smile on his face. And we're going to have to come to the realization that we are in, brother, we are in a war like we, most of the people don't even have any idea, the spiritual, the deep, deep spiritual war that we are in. 
And until we begin to fight back and fight back with every weapon we have, including the uh, the legal system, until we, we find people around America who are willing to reach into their pockets and help fund lawsuits against these despicable things that are going on, uh, we're, we're not going to win. And you know this, and I know this, that, that they've stacked the courts on us. They've stacked uh, the, the political, the walls of, walls of Congress. They've done all that. And the amazing thing I always saw about David and Goliath, Doug, is after David dropped that, that big dude, he walked up and he cut off Goliath's head with his own sword. In other words, that sword, that weapon that Goliath had used to scare everybody and kill, kill everybody was his sword. It was his weapon. And David didn't go up there and keep throwing rocks at him. When he got him down on the ground, David reached in Goliath's own own sleeve or whatever it would be, sheath, and pulled out that, that sword and cut Goliath's head off with his own sword. Doug, that's the legal system, brother. And we've just been on the we've been on the we've been on the defensive end of we've been playing catcher. We never yeah. play pitcher. We're always playing catcher. And we gotta we gotta get serious and understand that uh we live in a, in a culture in a society today where the courts are running everything. And so, brother, we have to, we have to begin to fight in those. I, I was encouraged the other day, finally some, some judges are waking up and swinging back at, at what's going on with, uh, with Mueller and all that kind of stuff. But we as individuals gotta, gotta, brother, we gotta quit being so daggone passive and we gotta, we gotta take them on. That's absolutely right, coach. And just real quick too, it, it is great to see these, you know, one and two and now three judges pushing back against Mueller. And in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really mean much of anything. Uh, Judge Napolitano said it uh, best today. You know, it's just their personal opinions, uh, but they're still going to have to, you know, follow these cases through uh, by the law. And but it is good to see that pushback. It is good to see that there are people on the, and it should rile people up. It should get them motivated. But coach, I got to ask you this because we've been talking about this off and on for you know forever now. How do we get the organization? together to where we see the left as organized they're unified in their message and in their fight we don't have that on the right the right's divided and even just between yeah. them on the lines of trump or on the lines of christianity well, i mean there's so many divisions on the right how do we get that organization well the, the big problem is we we've been looking for uh we've been looking for the fight in the wrong place uh joe we know that the fight ought to come from god-fearing christian people we know that but for whatever reason our leadership those who are manning our pulpits they have taken a, uh, a non-violent approach. By non-violent approach, you know, the Bible says that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has suffered violence, and violent men take it by force. Violence doesn't necessarily mean guns and, and bombs. Violence means absolutely standing up, and sometimes it's hand-to-hand combat, and we know it's a spiritual war. But the truth is, the spiritual war takes place before it takes place in the natural realm. Jesus the ultimate model, he prayed in the garden till blood came out of his pores. But then he got up and he went. He, you can't just pray. And when the, the thing that swept through our churches, whether it's uh, fear, whether it's... I, I, I wish I could really put my finger on it, is we think prayer is, is really all it requires. And it never is, never never will be. And, and if, we, we, if we're going to win, then we have to have, dare I say it, a hatred of God's enemies. A hatred, not a personal hatred, not a personal hatred out of my own heart, but a personal hatred of God's enemies. I was, a, I had a, I was at an event we had in, uh, Bangor, Maine this, this weekend. I was up there with some, some good saints and we're talking about this, 
very thing and getting organized and fighting back and pushing back and they all say they all say the same thing we're everybody's waiting for leadership and unfortunately in the christian world the leadership has become our our pastors and our pastors they're not in it brother they're not they're not in the fight so that's why it's guys like me and guys like you and guys like uh, Dave Hodges and guys like Pastor Mike Spalding and guys like Rustis. We're the ones that are trying to trying to rally the troops and and uh, ultimately, ultimately, I believe our team's going to wake up. But Doug, I was uh, I, I see it more and more every day. Uh, we are losing. We were having a discussion this weekend. Think about this, friend. We were having a discussion this week, and everybody was complaining about the fact that. Uh, they were teaching homosexuality and lesbianism and all that stuff to now it's preschoolers. They want to teach it to preschoolers. And I and people are railing about, well, we gotta do we gotta get our kids out of school, out of public schools and all that stuff I agreed with but but finally I stood up and said, Folks, listen, you gotta wake up. You gotta realize we're a generation behind. These these preschool kids, the culture has already captured their parents. The parents don't even see anything wrong with the kids being taught homosexuality in the fifth, the five years old, six. The parents don't even see it. Great and point. So those, they, they don't see it. They've been indoctrinated. It. We're a generation behind, and I try to help people understand that we are now counter culture. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living life in peace. John Lennon, 1970, that's where we are, Doug. And uh, and uh, we are in such an unbelievable time in America. I'm ex- I'm not I'm not depressed. I'm excited. But I, I know, brother, that if we would just stand up and begin to push back and begin to take it to some of these guys, that uh, the uh, the Lord's going to honor our our our, uh, our willingness to fight, our willingness to stand forward. We have to stand up. And give God a chance to. We got to show up and let God show off, Doug. And right now, that's not the mentality of the church. We we want to pray everybody into the kingdom, and meanwhile, they're they're snatching our kids one right after the other. We we ain't going to be singing kumbaya when we when we come. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, we're talking with America's coach, Coach Dave Dobmeyer, CoachDaveLive.com. He, he's the guy. He's the man. He, he's the guy in the huddle, and and we need to listen to Coach Dave Dobmeyer. What he said was so profound. We are a generation behind with respect to the perverse culture of the indoctrination system known as the government schools or public schools. We're a generation behind. We got we got catching up to do. Now, in terms of, well, you know, uh, Doug, yeah, Doug, go ahead. We said, I said something. The Lord, the Lord gave me something on my on our show today because we were, you know, we were talking about. We had all of to talk about the problems of education and how they're dumbed down the, the citizenry and they're dumbed down our kids and they got new math and kids can't even write in cursive and all that kind of stuff. And I said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wake up. Are you kidding me? Dumbing, the schools are dumbing down the kids. Have you been to church lately? The church is dumbing down the people. And the kids are getting dumb because the people are being dumbed down. We're being dumbed down about Christianity. We're being dumbed down that Jesus loves everybody in whatever state they're in. And there's no enemies and nobody's supposed to push back and just pray for everybody to get saved. Doug, I pray they get saved, brother. But in the meantime, as long as they're shooting at me, I'm going to be shooting back. And it's been my experience that they're more likely, if we want people to come to the Lord, they're going to be more likely to come to the Lord when they, as, as it happened to me, when I learned to fear the Lord, when I fear Him. And uh, we, we, we're leading with the love. We're leading with the rope-a-dope of the love. We're just jabbing with the love. 
and we got to come with that uh, that right hook, brother. We got to bring that right hook of of, of justice, and then then allow the Lord to be able to uh, to bring him to the bring him bring them to him. So here's my point, Doug. While we're waiting around, people say all the time, "Coach, we just got to get him saved." I said, "My goodness, how long are we gonna wait on that?" I'm, am I? You mean to tell me I got to wait around and get George Soros saved? That's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Get him saved. I'm supposed to get Rosie O'Donnell saved. I hope she gets saved. But we got to be doing something until that happens. Can't you see the debris? Can't you see the message that those people are making? Can't you see the lives, the children's lives that are destroyed, the parents who are destroyed when their children fall into homosexuality? Can't you see the chaos? Can't you see the mess? And this thing, this battle that we are in, is more than about salvation. Salvation. A person can only come to the Lord when the Holy Spirit draws them. And, brother, a lot of times it's through fear and being uh, trampled down and have the, have the well, what does it say? Crush the head of the, with the his heel will, bro, will uh, crush the head of the serpent. Brother, it's through pressure. It's through, it's through punishment. It's through fear that most people find the Lord. So we got to teach them once again that the fear of the Lord is the beginning that's the beginning, <laughs> beginning of knowledge, Doug. And the church yep. doesn't fear the yeah. Lord. The church doesn't preach the fear of the Lord. America's not, America's poking its face, it's, it's poking the Lord in the face. And, and brother, uh, it's coming, it's going to come to a head. I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you want a life-changing experience or start your day out right, 7 a.m. every morning, every weekday morning, Coach Dave Live, Tune in. I, I I watch it on uh, on my Twitter feed on Twitter, uh, so I kind of like you know I'm 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 just uh, uh, in, the, in the background. But I'll tell you something. If you want, you just heard Coach Dave, folks, start your day out correctly and get that 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 we're, absolute. We're building an army, Doug. There you we're go. We're building an army, huh? Yes. We're building yeah. an army. We're we're doing it silently, brother, and we're not. Listen, people hear that word, right? You're building an army. Well, Doug. The devil's team is an army, brother. And then they're not win they're not winning with guns. They're not winning with knives. They're not winning with bombs. They're winning with deception. They're winning with organization. They're winning with ideas. And we're sitting back and we're so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. And my mom taught me that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and we would be a lot farther ahead in this in this country if we tried to prevent some of this evil stuff from being thrown to our kids rather than trying to repair our kids after they've already swallowed that. To me, it's so it's so obvious, brother. It's so obvious what needs to be done, and I'm just going to keep doing what I can do to build a team, to wake people up, and uh, be, be ready that when that trumpet blows, uh, the Bible says, Doug, if the trumpet blast is uncertain, who will go to war? And there's going to come a time when I think that trumpet blast, I think it's already passed for me, when that trumpet blast is certain, brother, it's got a solid, strong sound to it, and the men of God are going to come running. I, I look forward to that day. And, Coach, you mentioned something a few minutes ago that everybody is looking for a leader. And, it, you know, when we see that, there, there's, that's huge problems. Everybody who's looking for a leader needs to step up and try to be that leader that they're looking for. And, you know, we can't control anybody else. We can't control other people's lives, other people's spirituality, their moods or behavior. We can only do what, what we can do best. And if we're sitting around waiting for other people to get involved or to take care of a situation, then we're already putting ourselves behind the eight ball. So we definitely need to be proactive 
And until we find that organization, until we find that uh, unity, that way uh, to combat this and to get back in front of this, we're going to need each and every person to become those leaders in their community. And, and you know, something. if I can jump in here, Coach Dave Dobmeyer, in my view, it, this is my personal view, This is not. he's not saying this, because you remember Target? Remember, remember the whole uh, dust up over Target, the, the bathrooms, you know, men oh, yeah. go there. Okay, because of one man, and this is what everyone can do. One man, and that's Coach Dave Dobmeyer, made a stand at Target, and all of a sudden their stock went <laughs> twenty billion dollars, brother. Yeah. twenty billion yeah. dollars. And and that see. Everyone can do that. We have to follow the example of Coach and, and get out there. And you know what? We, as Coach says, a couple. I, I, I've written something. Uh, we're in a war. What do you expect? Quit, uh, basically, quit complaining. That was to me. Uh, and I okay, yeah. okay. We can win on the numbers. That, that's to everybody. We can win on the numbers. We just, just got to show up. Um, Doug, listen. This is crucial, folks. It's local. Everything is local. Doug, I think sometimes we get overwhelmed. And I, uh, we had great food from our Occupy conference. We, we have people that we're hearing about people getting organized in, in different states around around America. I was in Maine. There was a, we had an organizational thing going on in in uh, Austin, Texas, or Temple, Texas. At the same time, people are beginning to wake up, Doug, and we're trying to we're trying to plug them together and we try to help them to, to understand that everything is local. Everything is local. And finally, I saw that this happened, and and I heard a lot of people complain about it, a lot of purists. But Iowa passed this no abortion bill, a heartbeat bill. Iowa did. Well, brother, that's a start. In my mind, that's a start to push back against that federal beast. We have to be able to have something. we got to plant a flag in the ground and be able to push back against it. And, folks, I'm telling you this right now, right where you live, they are pushing homosexuality in your public school with your kids, with your tax dollars. School board meeting every every couple of weeks. You can go to those. You can begin to get people organized around you. There's crazy stuff going on in your local government, right in right in your little city hall. You can make a difference right there. There's crazy stuff going on in your church, and you can make a difference right there. And see, Doug, a long time ago, buddy, I quit worrying about who loved me and who didn't love me, and whether I was popular or whether I wasn't popular, because it's a war. What did Woody say? Huh? Nobody ever saw a football player make a tackle with a smile on his face? I'm in a battle. I'm 65 years old, brother. I'm in a battle for my children and my children's children and my children's children's children. And what we do right now is going to determine their future. You say, well, look, coach, come on. Just look at the signs of the time. Jesus is coming back soon. We're going to be out of here, coach. Why you get so wound up about it? Just get people saved. I said, man, listen, I'm trying every day to get people saved. I'm doing that. But I'm fighting like everything depends on me. Because what if Jesus doesn't come in the next 20 years? What if it's 50 years? What if it's another 70 years? What if it's 150 years? Boy, we're going to look like a fool, aren't we? I'm standing back thinking, oh, man, I wish I'd known then what I know now. But we're no different right now than where our parents were in 1960. In 1960, my dog's barking at me, Doug. In 1961, we let them take prayer out of the school. In 63, they took Bible reading out of the school. Incrementally, bang, 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 they whacked us off. And I asked my mom and dad, where was the church? Where were you guys? Where was the greatest generation during all this? And now I look around and say, man, oh, man, they've upped their ante. Now they're coming after our, 
are the homosexual movements coming after our kids, the Antichrist agenda is alive and well in the schools, but all the mention of the name of Jesus. Doug, I'm alive and I'm, I'm alive and well right now. Right now I'm alive. This is my time. This is my time on the stage. This is my time on the field. And brother, I'm going to play as hard as I can till the Lord calls me home. And we need others to do that. Shake off your fear. Who cares what people say about you? Look to your little grandchild in the eye. Ask if his, his life matters. Ask if your inaction right now is going to cause him great danger in the next 25, 30 years. And are you going to be man enough to look him in the eye and know that what happens in his life is dependent on what you do today and then shirk it off and not do it because you're not organized and you're, and you're afraid and you don't have any plan? Well, wake up. Let's get a plan and let's get moving and let's begin to fight back. Amen. Great stuff. Great stuff. In fact, I'm going to encapsulate that, and we're going to blast that. Uh, thank you, Coach. I mean, that's right on the money. And, folks, 7 a.m. every day, Coach Dave live. This is what you'll get. This, the nourishment and, and the leadership. Uh, coach, you're, you are America's coach. To me, one of the most valuable people I know for everything you've done. Doug, we're just doing my job, brother. We're going to win this thing, Doug. People say, well, Coach, we win in the end. I've read the last chapter, and we win in the end. Oh, well, good for you. I want to win now. I want to win now. I want, to, I want the name of Jesus to be glorified now. I want, to, I want him to stand victorious now. I want to be able to stand and put my head, my, my heel on the head of the devil now. I want to go up and chop off Goliath's head now. That's, that's, that's how, when was the rock? He said, that's how winning is done. <laughs> Coach Dave, CoachDaveLive.com. Uh, Coach, we're up against it. God bless you. Thanks for coming on on short notice, man. That was fantastic. Oh, oh, now I'll sleep good tonight, man. I got, I bended a little bit today, so God bless you guys. Hey, Doug, God great bless. fruit from Occupy. I'll tell you something about that later. We got some great fruit, great stuff going on. Now is not fantastic. the time to run. Now is the time to fight. Amen, brother. Thank you so much. Tune in to Coach Dave Live in the morning, 7 o'clock, every morning, 7 o'clock, Monday through Friday, CoachDaveLive.com. Uh, America's Coach, great great friend of the program, great asset. Maybe right back, Network Breaks, stay right where you're at. Coming up, Charles Ortel. This edition of the Hagman Report. I'm going to tell you something. We are on fire, and we're on fire because <laughs> we need to be on fire today. All right, we need to be that spark. We need to be that 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 inferno. We've got to push back. You heard Coach Dave Dobmeyer, America's coach, last segment. The, the the man. I just I can't say enough good about him. And the Occupy 2018 conference, I certainly hope there's more to come. Um, because what, I, what, uh, just standing back and watching him work and watching him organize, not organize speakers, but, uh, but organize the people there. Hey, you're from this part of the country. Come over here. You're from that part. Come over here and let's get on with this like a true coach would do. Folks, if anyone is deserving of your support, it's Coach Dave Dobmeyer, CoachDaveLive.com. Do what you can. Keep him running, man. we got to keep him upright, nourished, and, and healthy. Him and his wife, God bless those. Uh, God bless that 
him and his wife are are fabulous people. I'm going to tell you. So, CoachDaveLive.com. Hey, you know what? Speaking of, of fabulous people, how about your mom? This this Sunday is Mother's Day. I just, uh, I'm not getting paid to say this, okay? Uh, and, uh, this is true in this case. I'm not getting paid to say this, but 1-800-Flowers, they're part of our sponsor, one of our sponsors. Uh, don't tell my wife this, but uh, she's got, actually, uh, she's got a big package coming from 1-800-Flowers. And you know what? She's a mom. She's my wife. If you have your mom still alive, please, please show your appreciation, your support, your love for your mom. 1-800-Flowers. Gifts, uh, flowers are always a, a crowd pleaser. And, um, you know, I, I often speak about this. I lost my mom at an early age. And, um, you know, it's it, it still hurts. So do what you can while you can. I'm not shaming you into it. But um, even a hug or a, a kiss and say, you know, I love you. When's the last time you told your mom that you loved her? Uh, don't wait until you can't. And I, the, the one thing I do remember of my mom saying, you know, don't put flowers on my grave. I, I, I like I like flowers when I'm alive. One eight hundred flowers. In in the mic box, in the microphone box, you got to click that radio box. Put in Hagman, so so we get you know at least they know that that we're talking about them. Okay, so coming up, our next guest is Charles Ortel. CharlesOrtel.com. But every Sunday he's with Jason Goodman. And Eric and I met Jason Goodman in New York City. And Jason Goodman has a, a great platform, and he brings on Charles Ortel. And every Sunday they go through, they lay out evidence. Charles Ortel lays out evidence of the fraud associated with the Clinton Foundation. Charles Ortel is the website. CharlesOrtel.com notes on the continuing crisis. The latest entry is concentrating on the, on Clinton Foundation facts. You see it, um, an attached executive summary there. Uh, it continues an investigation into the Clinton Foundation public records begun by chance in February of 2015. So I would urge everyone to, to, to really soak in the information from Charles Ortel. He's an investor, writer interested in economics, geopolitics, history, travel, and uh, just lasting peace. He's a proud father of two fine young adults, and you could follow him on Twitter at Charles Ortel. I do. We do. And his Twitter feed is amazing. Let me pull it up here. Uh, it's on the screen, by the way, if you're if you're listening to this or if you're watching this, I should say. Uh, the latest tweet from just five hours ago, the outrageous re- redactions to the Russia report, the FBI and Department of Justice, have been burying the investigators' uh, questionable judgments and information helpful to Flynn. Folks, that's the Brady rule. That's the mm-hmm. Brady rule. So the judge specifically ruled on yes. for Mueller and the prosecution to turn over all the exculpatory evidence that they had in their possession, and they're still not uh, complying with that order. Also, Devin Nunez threatened to hold Jeff Sessions in contempt of Congress. Hold him in contempt. For the He's same contemptible. thing. For not turning over records that were ordered to be turned over. Exactly, exactly. And, and when they won't yeah. comply, what are you supposed to do? You hold them in contempt. They, they, you go yeah. through the motions yep. and you 
Yep. Let people know that the accountability factor is still there, and they can't get away with this lawlessness. I mean, what is Jeff Sessions doing? Well, the, the, and I talked about this on my show this morning. The, the, the response from the Department of Justice, the uh, the counsel the for the Department of Justice, or the uh, yeah the Department of Justice, had said that the release of that information would be dangerous to human lives. All right, as opposed to what your pets. I've heard that. I, I don't re- recall who said that, but. Um, okay, there's a problem with that right from the start. Uh, in fact, uh, Charles can speak on this, I'm sure. But the bottom line is this. The bottom line is this. We are living in the, the, the most lawless environment in my lifetime. The justice, we've got two-tiered justice, which means we have injustice. You can hold Hillary Clinton to a different level of justice than you can Jane Doe. You can't look the other way when Rosie O'Donnell uses five aliases, that lesbianic, lesbianic, uh, that's my new name for her, lesbianic, uh, well, I'll, I'll stop with the adjectives, but, but you see the problem here? Where is the justice? But before justice, you've got to have the investigation. And one of the most valued investigators out there, citizen investigators, who has the experience, who knows exactly what he's talking about, who lays it out every Sunday with Jason Goodman on Crowdsource for the Truth. By the way, if you don't watch that or if you don't watch the archives, you're missing out because he brings a lot of experience. Now, this is not false flattery. This is just, I'm looking at it as an investigator, and every point that they go over, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, wow, wow. And I'm writing down, I've taken notes. I got like two notebooks. You can ask my wife. She, she, she cleaned off my desk. She said, you got, you got two hand, uh, notebooks and all notes, handwritten notes. And, and she's looking at them. She's saying, well, what, 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 who's, uh, oh, Charles Ortel. Okay. And, uh, I do. I keep notes on, on, on his programs. Uh, now they're in my office. So I'm about to fly by the seat of my pants here, Joe and I, but uh, nonetheless, Charles Ortel, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you so much for having me on. Man, I'll tell you what, you are the man. Uh, okay, so, so uh, <laughs> where, where do we even start, uh, Mr. Ortel? You've, your your latest uh, your latest revel, uh, revelations on your on your Twitter timeline here. Bye uh, bye Comey, bye bye Mueller, Rosenstein. The documents, the the uh, the link to part twenty one of twenty one. I read that. Well, what I could of it, the 200, what is it, 290 pages, roughly. And, uh, okay. I was looking at that, I'm thinking, first of all, what am I reading? Because I'm not reading much except a whole bunch of white, big, empty spaces of text. And then I see, where is it on page, uh, on page, uh, four and six, pages four and six. They lost the server. Lost, well, lost the chain of custody. Among well, other things. Thanks, thanks, thanks for bringing this up. Uh, this FBI vault is an extremely valuable resource. Um, I don't have much of a life, so I have plenty of time to spend all my time reading things like this. And um, this FBI vault, uh, that 21-page dump, 21-part dump, um, started coming out several weeks before the election, maybe as early as September 2016. Um, and it's, it dribbles out un, unexpectedly with no rhyme or reason. 
And you, to see what it's all about, you've got to go back to dump one and dump two. Dump one explains that there was indeed an FBI criminal investigation opened into Hillary Clinton and her team for potentially mishandling classified information. That investigation was opened as a, as a, a function of a statute, the Defense Intelligence Authorization Act of 1995, I think, made it, uh, somehow the Inspector General of the Investment and of the uh, Intelligence Community made a Section 811C referral, which triggered an FBI, formal FBI investigation July 10th, 2015. Now, if we go back to that time frame, remember that July 10th, 2015 is before any primaries were held. It's one month before Hillary Clinton entered into the agreement that we found out about later, where she basically rigged the Democratic Party primaries. So um, here we know that uh, the, the head of the FBI certainly knew, uh, that would be Comey, that Hillary Clinton was indeed under an investigation, a specific investigation, not concerning all former secretaries of state, not concerning the general practice, of how secretaries of state handle confidential information, including emails. But no, this was an investigation narrowly into Hillary Clinton's practice of uh, sending all of her communications over uh, private servers or using private servers and using unsecure electronic devices um, and then walking out after her four-year tenure as secretary of state, walking out of that office still in possession of all this classified and confidential information, which was only turned back uh, after re repeated requests were made, after demands were made, which was only turned in on December 5th, 2014. So by July 10th, 2015, came this investigation, or began this investigation by the FBI. And the significance of Dump 21 is that there are a lot of dates in there that are back into the October 2015 timeframe when um, Andrew McCabe's wife was still in a candidate for uh, elected office. I think she's running for the state Senate in Virginia. And then there are a whole bunch of uh, receipts and memos, internal memoranda, et cetera, that go all right through this period when James Comey was drafting his exoneration letter before he gets up there on July 5th, 2016, and I would argue improperly, clears Hillary Clinton. Um, there's a tremendous amount of information here. So what the first thing I'd like to say to you is to thank you for having me on your show, but to the people at the FBI vault, thank you so much. You are patriots for getting this information out there. Um, since the last time I was on with you, there were only two originally uh, dumps in the William J. Clinton Foundation investigation on the FBI vault. Now there's three. So in the case of the Hillary R. Clinton investigation, we've done many specials on Sunday withdrawals where we take people through uh, what we consider to be the, the, the salient points in the key dumps. But if I commend to your viewership, please read, start with dump one. It's about 35 pages of text. And then dump two, I've heard my, my friend and somebody I, I value highly, Andrew Napolitano, Judge Napolitano say, a question why there isn't a transcript of Hillary Clinton's interview. Dump two is a transcript. Of, uh, it's a, it's it's not a verbatim transcript, but it is a summary of her interview. It's an eleven-page summary. That's a three hundred two, right? Is that? Uh, the... I don't. It could be. I, it's, it's typed. Okay. I, I don't know the technical 
terminology, but it's a an eleven page summary of what of actually what happened uh on that day when she was interviewed, I think on the second of July two thousand fifteen. It's there for you. And, and when we put this whole timeline together, what is clear to me happened is that there was an accommodation reached between the Clintons and the Obamas way before 2015. There had to have been an accommodation. You, you put yourself in the shoes of, of Team Obama. Uh, you remember what Sidney Blumenthal did to Team Obama, allegedly putting that New Yorker cover where Michelle and Barack were dressed as terrorists. You know, in this several weeks leading up to the Democrat National Convention, there were the Democrats, Hillary people were spoiling for a fight, even though Barack had won the primary, won the nomination, they were spoiling to have a floor fight. And how in the world does Team Obama then decide, uh, within days after the, winning the historic victory over John McCain, how does Team Obama decide to give Hillary Clinton the most important outward facing post uh, to all the world, the Secretary of State, um, how, do, how, does, how do they decide to put Eric Holder in as Attorney General, somebody who had in the past been close to the Clintons? And, you know, why didn't that team, and I'm, a, I'm not involved in politics, I have no interest in being in politics, but just, you know, I, I have a degree in political science and economics, but and I follow it, you know, like we all do, but I don't understand why it was such a victory, why Barack Obama would have felt the need to take the risks that he evidently did take getting into bed with the Clintons. And so this FBI vault gives us a lot of clues to people who are in the FBI or, or uh, out of the FBI who might be able to have some time to look more closely at this file. There's a lot of stuff redacted in the file. Somebody in the FBI currently must be able to look at the unredacted file, the entire file. And I'm betting that that file does show a close connection between the email investigation and the, the, the stalled and stymied foundation investigation. Now, we know, finally, we know that by July of 2016, for certain, the, the IRS had opened an investigation into the Clinton Foundation by then. But we have, you know, various reports that suggest that, uh, an investigation of potential public corruption involving the Clinton Foundation had been started before then. And I think these two investigations are related. The foundation, in my experience, is a perfect, if, you have, if you're prepared to run a crooked foundation, particularly associated with former presidents traveling around the world, and you have no real independent board, you have, a, I would argue, a crooked, bold-faced, crooked accounting firm, you have the perfect vehicle to trade money for influence across state and national boundaries. And I think if you were going to do that, a lot of the transmissions and negotiations and fine-tuning of that would be done by email. And I think that explains the motivation behind the Clintons insisting on conducting the nation's international business on unsecure servers, unsecure electronic devices for so many weeks and months and, don't t- and years. And don't tell me that the team Obama didn't know about it. Don't tell me that there aren't missing emails that have Barack Obama's Valerie Jarrett and other senior people, Joe Biden, other senior people's names, and maybe alias names, in communication with Hillary herself and the functionaries around the Clinton Foundation. Just don't tell me that didn't happen, because I'm sure it did. Well, the, the, the proof is there. With respect to the emails, the emails between Clinton and Obama, they're, they're 
acknowledged, correct? I mean, Clinton using a unsecured homebrewed server, communicating with with uh, Barack Obama from a foreign country, no less. It's been documented. So, how, how can he claim ignorance? Obama, that is. And uh, well, go ahead. Yeah, I, I sorry to interrupt you, but uh, you're absolutely right. And the significance of Dump 21 that just came out, the Hillary R. Clinton dump, latest thing that we, I tweeted out there. Significance there is that for the first time we learn of additional email addresses that Hillary used beyond the two that were known at Clinton email. Wow. Okay. There are Seventeen different email addresses, and that's that's what we know about. And I've got to believe, you know, I'm no I'm no spy, and I'm not I don't need to have an alias email. But if I had an alias alias email, it wouldn't be charlesortel.com. It would be very different. <laughs> That you have no connection to. I might, you know, I can imagine people around Hillary Clinton, say Uma Abedin, having an alias email account that does not even use English, you know, or an English um, uh, provider, electronic provider. Um, so uh, I, I think what I see here is a is a fake investigation. I see an investigation of both the email and of the Hillary Clinton uh, of the Clinton Foundation that was circumscribed. And I think we know why. I think it is because Bob Mueller was in the FBI from September 4th, 2001 to September 4th, 2013, precisely when the Clinton Foundation fraud escalated in, in geographic scope and in financial magnitude. We know that uh, J- James Comey headed up the first Clinton Foundation investigation from as a U.S. attorney in the Southern District by January of 2002, and he couldn't see an obvious fraud. And we know that Rod Rosenstein... Uh, was in the in the tax division of the Department of Justice from 2001 to 2005, and he made a decision, or someone around him made a decision, not to prosecute a massive and obvious fraud. So, you know, I, okay. I think there's it's uh, taken a while. You, you know, I just want to make a clear, or not a clarification, but but a point here. Uh, according to everything and learning this from you, Charles Ortel is our guest. CharlesOrtel.com crowdsource the truth video uh, Sundays with Charles um, it was on February 1st of 2008 when uh, the Clinton Foundation their email domain is linked with Clinton's private server that was on February 1st of 2008 so this is where at least in part overtly the overlap exists and then you've got two simultaneous or two parallel paths of criminal conduct and those are my words uh, for at least, you know, what the investigation shows. Uh, and th- this appears to be your findings as you, as you go down the path of, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, as you go down the path of investigation on the foundation as well as the email, uh, the overlap there. So, so I mean, it's, uh, I mean, there's, I don't even know what to say with respect to the criminality here except that, uh, uh, this whole thing was right from the beginning. Uh, both the, both the email as well as the foundation investigations. When uh, going back to '96, just real quick, when the um, Whitewater uh, investigation was was going on, Clinton shows a pattern of evasion regarding the Whitewater inve- investigation. And, and I mean, so, so, so the criminality, the, the course of criminal conduct here is far established. You're absolutely right. Now, there's a great person you may know called Lee Stranahan. Yes. And, uh, we had him on our show, and he explained something to me that I did not know, which is that uh, when Bill Clinton was at Georgetown, 
he studied under an expert on historical charity fraud. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it would not surprise me, uh, watching how the Clintons played, that this is, this is to say that it's a game is too strong, because it's obviously not the game. Lives are at stake. A lot of, a lot of people have lost their lives around the Clintons. Um, this is uh, serious business, as Jason Goodman likes to say, and I agree with him. Um, but there's a long-standing pattern and practice here of passing themselves off as being something that they're not. They go around, you know, Hillary works for the children, Bill is this, in theory, uh, caring individual. But when you look down at the, at the many train wrecks and, and, and the, and the enormous damage that has been created around the Clintons for so many de- decades. And then when you start to see a continuing pattern and practice with this Clinton Foundation of not simply take, you know, making one mistake, they have been serial abusers of state, federal, and foreign charity laws and solicitation laws and deceptive practices laws and postal fraud, wire fraud, bank fraud, mail fraud, you name it. This is not something that happened by accident. And what we don't yet know and what we should know is whether, you know, some like to paint Hillary Clinton as the evil villain and because, of course, everyone says Bill doesn't care about money. I don't believe that for a second. You know, I think it's actually most likely the reverse. In Bill's personal life, we see the extreme predatory behavior with women. Um, And, you know, we see a nastiness in his eyes when he's confronted uh, and in various interviews, remember the interview under his deposition, you know, and when he gets caught, his eyes bug out, and you see the real Bill Clinton, which is a man of anger. And to do, why I got involved in this uh, was not really so much to hunt down the email stuff or the public corruption stuff, is because I, I learned a lot about charity land, and I learned so much about the great charities of which there are many, not the big names necessarily, but the small charities, and there are almost 400,000 of them, all told, that report. Um, and these are people who really do try to uh, actually respect the laws and the many regulations. They follow them carefully, and they're trying to do only good. They're not doing it to, you know, get a get out of jail free card or to burnish their public uh, image or to help them run for national or local office. No, they're doing it to truly help people. And many of the best charities do that without taking credit for it. And so when I saw what I expected in Bill Clinton and his charity, I assumed that somebody who had had so many brushes with the law, so many different ways, and that had, has so many enemies, sworn enemies, I had assumed that he would get a team around him who would actually get him to fill paperwork out that complies. Uh, not, not, you know, almost complies, does comply with the ethical laws. And instead you see a paper trail that is a train wreck. This this thing was never organized properly, October 23rd, 1997. It has never been operated properly. It is never registered properly in any state. It It is filed, you know, grossly conflicting reports. When you look at all the state reports, which I've done, most of them, 97 forward, or covering 97 forward, when you look at, contrast that with their foreign reports, you contrast the various laws, this thing is a textbook case in how you should not run a charity. And the penalties, as we're seeing since the last time I was on with you, uh, Corinne Brown, I think, was sent to prison, former U.S. Uh, congressperson from Florida, 
African-American lady in her 70s, early 70s. $800,000 charity fraud, and she didn't do it alone. For her part in that, five years in the slammer, federal slammer. Steve Stockman, a conservative Republican in Texas, has been convicted of uh, multiple felony counts. Um, There's a a great, I think, U.S. attorney in Little Rock in concert with uh, one in western Arkansas and one in western Missouri has just put the... uh, begun the process of wrapping up a one, slightly more than $1 million charity fraud and payoff scheme involving a, uh, uh, people in in uh, Arkansas, but importantly involving the longtime accounting firm, which is a small firm called BKD that, aud- in quotes, audited the Clinton Foundation from, uh, well, I have the audits from 2001 through 2012 signed off by BKD that are all wrong. So this this is a long-standing pattern of practice, and it's almost like, you know, if we don't do something about this, it's not just that the Clintons will get away with it; it's that history will have a marker that says, you know, look, this is what presidents do. You know, they put their teams together. It, it, it's not about America; it's about loyalty to the person and the family. And if they get to win, they take what they want, and we descend then into anarchy. So, so this is much more important than simply. Disciplining the malefactors around the Clintons, including the Clintons. It's about sending a message across America and around the world that in our vital charity sector, where so many people truly are doing good works, we will not tolerate this good. That's right. Uh, Charles, I want to ask you this. Is this case, the Clinton Foundation, is this the biggest fraud, charitable fraud that we've seen of an organization like this? Uh, as far as I can tell, yes. I mean, I, I would go so far as to say that when you when you think about the Clinton Foundation and its affiliates, and, and there are many of them, many big affiliates, non-governmental organizations, uh, the Global Fund, the, the UNITAID, UNICEF, sadly, UNAIDS, uh, start thinking about all these allied charities and then the big donors who were who, who should have been screaming bloody murder to stop this and turning the, the Clintons in, the Gates people should have done that. No, no, they're playing along, as are other many large Rockefeller Foundation, many others continue to give money to these frauds. When you put that all together, and you consider over now 21 years, um, I get to numbers well in excess of $100 billion, which is massive. Uh, it would put it as one of the biggest frauds of all time, not simply charity frauds. Now, in charity land, there are, unfortunately, every year there are cases, and it ha- a lot of times it happens around natural disasters or human suffering when we open up our wallets and we don't think carefully enough about where the money's going. Sadly, there are cases of fraud. And, and for as long as humans are on the planet, there will be cases of fraud involving charities because it's a relatively simple trick that you can do. And then most people get all excited about what are, what's in the books of the charity? Do you see an error? That's not the big trick. Step one in the charity fraud is to assert a need for money and to get an incoming stream that goes towards your charity but doesn't reach it and to steal money before it gets to the charity's books. That's step one. And with these large appeals, you hear about them all the time, whether it's you know, a poor family or a police officer, let's say, that gunned down and young kids and overnight that family gets two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars in a GoFundMe account. Examples like that, or Haiti where that disaster happened 
and who knows how much money was really raised. Some people think as much as $13 billion was raised, but very little of that money ended up in Haiti. So you have multiple examples where the first step in a charity fraud, as I say, is to skim money off the top. And with these PayPal accounts, with alias accounts, with sloppiness, with the fact that most people don't check really carefully the actual name of the charity, the Clinton Foundation has never used, never used in its early period until they changed their name to Bill Hillary and Chelsea Clinton Foundation on April 9th, 2013. No Clinton Foundation tax return used its actual legal name. And no audit got, in the early years, got the actual legal name of the entity right, nor did any audit consolidate all the Clinton Foundation's operations around the world. This is elementary stuff. That, 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 you know, I, I've been on the board of two small charities, and you know, this is the kind of stuff that most charity trustees would say, you're showing me books here for an entity that is not called the proper name, the William J. Clinton Presidential Foundation. That's the name of it at inception. Why are you preparing books for me that say, call it William J. Clinton Presidential Foundation, Inc.? That's not its name. Then you check its formal address. It's not its formal address. Then you check its phone number. Not its formal phone number. Now, all of these are, you, know, you think that, ah, it's just a, a, a nerdy accountant saying there's a problem. No, these are serious crimes on the books. You cannot use a fictitious name, an incorrect name, in connection with a mail solicitation, particularly when you've gone to the post office and said, I'm a validly constructed charity. You're not, by the way. And you lie to them and you say, because I'm validly constructed and eligible, I ought to get discounted mail rates. I mean, it's just... You, you just pick almost any aspect of this charity, and you can be certain that it is not doing things in compliance with law. It's amazing. Wow. Okay. Now, uh, all right. Uh, this I know this is going to be painfully obvious to you, but those people just joining us or just getting familiar with the situation. Uh, the the obvious question here that that we're going to get from new listeners and new viewers is why hasn't anything been done? Why haven't right. they been caught? How is this allowed to just go go unpunished or un- everybody can't un- be on the uh, payroll? Know, well, yeah, you know it's it, it's it's got to be conspiracy. And by the way, Mr. Ortel, the um, the the Clinton Foundation has got really really high marks. Uh, high, high, um, uh, ratings from those who rate charities. So how can that be? Uh, well, how would you answer that? Yeah, I, I'll answer the second question first and then I'll get to the first question. The second question, there's a great gentleman named Doug White and he is considered to be one of the foremost experts on, on charities and academic. He actually, uh, well, he started out as sort of a consultant to charities over decades and then he was asked to run the master's degree granting program first at NYU and then later at Columbia, to, you know, train people how to run charity. He also played a role in founding Charity Navigator. And I had him on a Sunday with Charles show, it's actually quite a long show, a three-hour show, where we spent a lot of time on this. And and I, he, as a founder of Charity Navigator, you know, he immediately agreed with me when I said, look, there's no way Charity Navigator can do the type of work that's required to evaluate the Clinton Foundation. They don't have, it's this tiny operation, which is spread too thin with so many clients. So there's no way they're really doing the kind of deep dive that is required here. And, um, that, that's as concerning rating of charities. Now, 
But when I say small, Charity Navigator's revenues are about a million dollars. And it's, you know, operates here in New York. It's expensive to operate in New York. They can't possibly do what others can do with people like me who, you know, have nothing but time on my hands. Um, you know, I've spent three years on this. There's no way that anybody at Charity Navigator is as conversant with these books as I am. Now, with, and Doug on my program agreed on the spot. And as somebody who likes the concept of Charity Navigator, but felt it, it's sort of it's, it's spread too thin. Now, I just going back a little bit, I got into this line of work exposing financial irregularities at General Electric. At a time when General Electric had a total market capitalization, debt and equity combined, approaching a trillion dollars, it was enormously complicated. And its debt was rated by real rating agencies, people, you know, with a lot of market cap and money behind them. McGraw-Hill's own, McGraw-Hill owns uh, S&P. That's a big company. And then uh, Moody's is publicly traded. Warren Buffett was then a big shareholder in Moody's. They gave GE the highest possible debt ratings Precisely at the time when I said, no, this, this company's going to go bankrupt. So, you know, and this is if big companies experienced in looking at numbers with lots of accountants and lawyers on staff, you get GE wrong, you bet the Charity Navigator and these infinitesimally small by comparison rating agencies are, they're, they're, they're shams. You know, then you get to the question of who actually regulates a charity. The Clintons were smart enough to figure out that that the tax-exempt department of the IRS is a place that can be gained. It's relatively small. And who was in charge of that? In senior roles of that place from July of 2001 until May or October of 2013? Lois Lerner. And how many um, allies or acolytes of the Clintons remain in the IRS? So you've got you know a small department at the IRS that cannot possibly check things as carefully as need be. You also have all these state attorney generals who typically have small staffs. Now, just in the news moments ago, uh, Eric Schneiderman stands, he's our attorney general here in New York. Yeah. He now stands accused of vicious assaults against four women. You hear his uh, excuse? Had, he's role-playing is what he, a statement they put out just a few minutes ago. It was role-playing. Yeah, yeah that, that, that'll work. <laughs> um, so the point here is that, that uh, New York Attorney General Charities Bureau is, is among the better staff and they have missed, willingly or not, they have missed this massive fraud right under their nose. The Clintons have been operating from secret offices in New York State that are undeclared, uh, foundations that they control and have influence over initiatives that they are not lawfully organized anywhere. Uh, they have not, they've got all kinds of problems in this state of Cal- in New York. Uh, in the state where I was born in California, you have Xavier Becerra, uh, the man who negotiated the Imran Awan arrangements. Uh, which were disastrous for America's security. He's the head of the Cal- uh, he's the New York Attorney General uh, now in a, in a department that has not been regulating the Clinton Foundation properly. So the answer is, I think in part, that this, the, these uh, departments that sh- should be regulating charities are not suspicious enough. They're not cynical enough. And they're certainly not prepared to go up against charities that are run by former presidents of the United States, whether that be Bill Clinton or the Bush family, H.W. and W. I mean, they're just, they're not prepared to do it. And I think the larger tale here is going to be that one of the brutally bad side effects of, of September 11th was America's willing acceptance of a security state 
it's invested way too much power into departments of the IRS, the Department of Justice, etc., and functionaries and contractors to them who could then use, uh, uh, in the guise of doing work, extract all kinds of enormously valuable information who then might either be held over the heads of politicians, as J. Edgar Hoover allegedly did in a, in a pre-electronic age, or um, actually be used to, <laughs> to, to be sold to donors you know, we're interested in getting competitive information or whatever. So we, we've erected this system that is completely out of control, and we see it even now. Here we have um, Devin Nunes trying to perform his constitutionally mandated oversight role and being stiff-armed not by Adam Schiff, but by Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General of the United States of America. Even today has the nerve. To, to not do his job as assiduously, as adroitly as he should have done a long time ago. He is trying to stiff-arm people under spurious national security contentions, in my view. Wow. Okay. So the short answer is a whole hell of a lot of corruption and a lack of a shortage of oversight as well. Kind of a toxic combination there. Okay. Wow. And it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, you know, Charles, you went through and, and detailed some of the positions that some of these people had in the past who are now at, uh, you know, top levels of, of government, like Rod Rosenstein. You, and, and you mentioned this and, and just looking into it, uh, he used to be, he used to run the tax division inside the Department of Justice from 2001 to 2005 and then became the head of the, uh, tax division that decided what was tax exempt also Lois Lerner played a role in in all this too uh, as well as working inside the charitable division of the IRS many people speculate that's why she was elevated because she oversaw the millions of dollars in donations made to the Clinton Foundation dealing with Uranium One and there's this uh, incestuous relationship between you know these bureaucrats and, and these politicians in power and I can see completely how, the, I mean, and this does stem over to the email investigation because these same people who were protecting Hillary Clinton, probably getting paid in other favors uh, at some point, I imagine, also, you know, saw the danger of the email investigation, saw the need to protect her because they believed that the election was rigged. She was going to win it. It was hers to have, that she was going to be the next president. None of this was going to become public. But thanks to the American people, it is public. And now we just see the layers, constant layers of corruption after corruption after corruption and it just gets worse and worse and worse the higher we seem to go at all levels of government you're so yeah, I don't know you're, you're so right, let me let me just if I may just modify a comment there so Rosenstein was in the Department of Justice I believe overseeing the uh, tax division specifically had had the, for a long period of time in between 2001 and 2005, he had the, I think, the top call on wh- of which tax frauds were prosecuted. After, after 2000, sometime in 2005 or thereabouts, he became the U.S. attorney in Maryland, specifically seated in Baltimore. And, you know, I, I would bounce him from contention as being deputy attorney general simply for the fact that he, he together with Comey and Mueller, could not see the Clinton Foundation uh, frauds in their in their most egregious years, 2004 and 5, 
when my, by my calculation, a minimum of $64 million was stolen from the Clinton Foundation books. That you can see just by doing elementary math. And I, if I could see that with no FBI agents helping me, no bank records, no forensic accounts, imagine what the best forensic accountants at the FBI could actually have done had they been doing a real investigation in this time frame. But I submit that that investigation likely was hobbled. And that's something that Horowitz needs to get his arms around. So that was hobbled. Then he goes, uh, Rosenstein goes over to Baltimore. And in, while he was there, while he was the U.S. attorney, uh, the following things happened. In my mind, uh, the leverage buyout and the creation of this company called Laureate Education, Inc. Uh, I think the, the leverage buyout, the way in which it was organized is deeply suspicious. We could go into it at another time. It's a technical matter. But let's just say it's deeply suspicious, and they didn't catch what appears to me as impossible criminal insider trading. Then uh, the way in which it went public, also suspicious. But by 2006 or thereabouts, Laureate went into business with the Clinton Foundation. They created a joint venture. Laureate was a for-profit edu- is a for-profit educational company, a large one, and the Clintons had set up something called Clinton Global Initiative illegally. They didn't formally do it properly. They didn't have the authority to do it properly. And then they created a joint venture, a supposed joint venture between this profit-making entity, Laureate, and the Clinton Global Initiative, and they called it Clinton Global Initiative University. All this was happening uh, as a nexus in Baltimore when Rod Rosenstein was the U.S. attorney. And that's a big story. Eventually, starting in uh, May of 2010 or thereabouts, the laureate decides to pay Bill what we know so far is $17.6 million over the course of five years for part-time work as supposed chancellor of, uh, of laureate education. It's just, it's lunacy. The, the payment level is too high and, and the fact these payments are not disclosed in various Clinton Foundation filings as they need to be. So Rosenstein didn't catch that. Rosenstein didn't catch uh, there's a, this diabolical drug company called Ranboxy, which is based in India. He did get involved in an investigation into whether Ranboxy was distributing adulterated drugs that uh, were purchased by the U.S. government various ways. Ultimately, a settlement was announced on that on May 13, 2013, where a $500 million fine was paid. Uh, economic penalties were paid by Ranboxy. But my contention is that Rosenstein didn't catch the full picture. And it also took about nine years to get to the bottom of that, which I don't understand why it should take nine years. So that's the second thing. The third thing is that on in 2010, the Clinton-Bush-Haiti Fund came together, and the, uh, the, the books were are abysmal, but the largest grant from the Clinton Foundation in 2010 is to this Clinton-Bush-Haiti Fund. It's $37.2 million, and in the Clinton Foundation... Uh, filings with the IRS that were filed in 2011 concerning 2010, then amended in 2015 for 2010. Both filings claim that this $37.2 million grant went to a post office box in Maryland, in Baltimore, Maryland, where the Clinton-Bush-Haiti Fund had no no such operation. And Rod Rosenstein didn't see that. And he didn't see, you know, the many problems involving Uranium One, and I think Maybe it's unfair to pin Rosenstein on this, but I've got a lot of questions about what happened in 2010 when they rounded up Anna Chapman in the spy ring 
under Mueller. And instead of bleeding Anna Chapman and her, her co-conspirators dry, putting them in prison, questioning them, lengthy uh, prison terms, instead of doing that in 2010, they spirited this team out of the, out of the country in an unequal exchange for fewer of our people than we let Russian people leave. So, you know, it could go on and on and on. If, if there were one small problem, you know, I'd say, well, okay, you know. But this is multiple problems. It's almost as if what they were doing is assembling a team here that they knew would protect not simply the Clintons, but maybe protect the Bushes, protect the Obamas, protect the big boys. And so it's, it's, it strikes me, I mean, if, if you're going to ask tough questions, what I want to understand here is whether the most powerful people in America are not the president, the senators, the judges, et cetera, but whether they're the, the, the Peter Strucks, the Andy McCabe's, the Rod Rosenstein, the people who get to see the nation's dirty secrets and may or may not be Lily White when it comes to playing with those secrets. That, I think, is the big story here. And, you know, you mentioned Strauch and Page, another, uh, you know, dynamic duo of people who are uh, working to protect Hillary Clinton and, and trying to uh, undermine President Trump. I want to ask you this. From what we've seen from the release of the text messages between Strauch and Page so far, uh, a few people have commented on this, and I haven't heard much more about it, so I want to ask you, do you believe that they were having an affair, or do you believe that the affair story could have been a cover for this uh, attempted coup against President Trump? Or do you think they could have been doing both? I, I, th- I don't know. Uh, and, you know, I, I think, though, that they did have an affair. Um, I, I believe that Lisa Page left her husband or her husband kicked her out or whatever. I mean, I, they, I'm pretty certain they probably were having an affair, but that's something that I, I hope the, the remaining White Hats, and of which there are many... I hope the overwhelming majority of people working in the FBI and the Department of Justice indeed uh, love the law and uh, are, you know, straight, straight playing law enforcement people. I suspect the overwhelming majority are. But what we see is that the management, these people you're talking about, are pretty senior people in the FBI and Department of Justice. They're not, they're not straight, and they've been living a lie for a long time. And I think the American people now deserve to understand how much of a lie they all have been living. So um, I, I find it, you know, as I'm a, people know I'm 62 years old, so I'm not somebody sitting there text messaging all the time with people. I cannot fathom how uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa, Lisa Page uh, had enough time, enough you know seconds in their day to do their jobs, to deal with their various households, to send all these text messages. Who knows how how, how many additional draft emails there are and alias email accounts just to basically get, you know, normal functions done, you know, unless they have each have a team of, you know, 10 servants in each household. I I don't see how they could possibly do everything that they were doing. And I also, you know, under, under Obama in particular, how many tales have we heard of, of people in the FBI and Secret Service and various senior level people Engaging in just rank amateurish, to put it charitably, rankly amateurish behavior. What happened towards the election? That when some FBI agent left a crucial laptop on the back of a motorcycle and somebody stole that. I mean, this is not the FBI that I've heard of, and I do know a few FBI agents who are meticulous and thorough, and you know, you wouldn't even dream about 
coming close to breaking the law or an appearance of impropriety. So uh, I'll go with a simple answer on this one. I think they were having an affair. Uh, I, 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 my big question is, are they now cooperating? You know, that, that, that's a great question because we know now that Lisa Page is, is now, uh, gone from, uh, her position and with, with that, of course, it would be any, um, uh, uh, leverage, administrative leverage they would have over her. So maybe they, maybe, uh, you know, look, I don't know, but certainly a, a fair question. If we can back up just a little bit, um, the number of foreign entities donating to the Clinton Foundation in all of its iterations, extreme. And I note that it was back in January of 2010, their their tax returns or their returns listed no donations whatsoever from foreign governments in its yearly tax returns, three years plus. I mean, that's a pretty huge, significant what would you call it mistake or omission i guess omission would be the uh would be the the uh the term and this ranging from uh, i think you you'd know better for i think from 2010 uh well during her tenure as secretary of state and Roy, that was reported by reuters back in april of 2015 right yeah it's just so, go ahead yeah so so the the, the real story is this that that from uh, the Clinton Foundation was established on October 23, 1997. Um, and this was a moment, if we remember our history, of, of great peril for the Clintons. Uh, Bill had been, yes, he'd been reelected, but uh, the Paula Jones suit was, after all the privilege claims were exhausted, Paula Jones suit was allowed to go forward. Charlie Tree, the guy who had been getting money together for the first presidential legal expense trust, had been exposed as possibly taking money from foreign donors, which is illegal. So the financial pressures to defend the Clintons, the cost of the defense was rising, and at the same time, the defense trust, the first one, had to be wound up. So this is a moment of great peril. There is no tax return yet for the period October 23, 1997 to December 31, 1997, as I believe there should be. And... Um, so there's no record yet, and, and it's seen the light of day, of where the various slush funds, and there was another slush fund, it could have been legally run, but I suspect it wasn't, which was the second presidential inaugural committee fund. That was supposed to file a report in April of 1997. There's no report on file that I've been able to get. I made a Freedom of Information Act request, and I was denied getting it. Um, I think that thing had millions in it. We don't know yet where those millions went, how many may have been routed through the Clinton Foundation. Um, and then from 1998, for the years 1998 to 2007, though in each year of the tax returns, they were explicitly required to say in total how much money the Clinton Foundation had received from foreign governments, or from governments actually. Um, in each of those years, the entry on, the, on these Foundation returns, which are still there and they're not corrected in the public domain as they need to be, shows no government donations. Now, the massive government donations started. Saudi Arabia is rumored to have given $10 million in 2004. John Solomon, the great investigative reporter, did a piece on that in 2007 for the Washington Post with a colleague. 
Um, so there were records back then of government donations, so not in the IRS form. And more importantly, under New York and California law, you have to, in this, in this time frame, 98 forward, uh, you were required to disclose uh, for the Clinton Foundation more detail in your state returns than had been disclosed in the federal returns. And those state returns do not have any information in them. So here again, I brought up California and New York, not only because of Enron Awan and now uh, Schneiderman's possible problems, as is alleged, uh, but, but primarily to talk about the fact that these state tax forms are wrong, in my opinion. And so then you get to the question of while Hillary was Secretary of State, the process that began at latest by November 18, 2008, that's when the real Memorandum of Understanding was in fact signed. That Memorandum of Understanding, as I have covered multiple times on my show, is a pack of lies. It is, it's representations about the Clinton Foundation are boldly incorrect. And it's also not a legally enforceable document. So, you know, it's, 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 again, it's something to give the public the appearance of comfort when in fact it, it was an unenfor- unenforceable mess. No, just to be clear, you're talking about Bruce Lindsay, I believe, right? The CEO at that time. Um, uh, signing a memorandum of understanding with Valerie Jarrett. Representing right. the White House. Okay. All right. right. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. When we get into that document, as I have done, uh, the, to see the real one, you just Google Clinton Foundation MOU um, Judicial Watch, and you'll get the real version that came out in, I think, December 2013 or thereabouts. Um, the fake version has a different signature date than the real one, and it's a crude forgery, in my view. So the first question on that one is, how could Valerie Jarrett have been educated enough about the Clinton Foundation to be able to do enough due diligence and sign that agreement? I mean, it, she had just come off this historic win. Uh, she actually had her 50th birthday, I think, right in that period. She had precious little time to do any studying. It, it, when you look through the state filings of the Clinton Foundation, you see clearly that the Clinton Foundation was technically defunct legally defunct when they were making the same well, these glowing statements about all the great works of the, the Clinton Foundation had had its crucial operation fighting HIV AIDS had its authority to operate in Massachusetts involuntarily revoked permanently on March 31st 2008 by July of 2008 there are reports of WikiLeaks suggesting that the, the, the people running that HIV AIDS operation had confessed to the Clinton Foundation board Polite way to say it is that 23 million had been diverted. The rugged way to say it would be to say that 23 million had been stolen, and that the board then made a decision, according to this memo, rather than admitting that, which would be a big problem, they would just cover it up by taking money from a quasi endowment, meaning, in my mind, yet another slush fund that's not properly accounted for. So, I mean, the thing was a mess. And then you get to the question of the government donations, what I've been able to do, because there's the equivalent of Freedom of Information Act requests around the world in these big donor countries, I've been able to reach out to various governments, and I have documentary evidence that shows uh, numbers that just don't put with what the Clinton Foundation claims it received. 
And again, you, the opening point I made about the first trick in a foundation is to ask for a lot of money, a crooked foundation, and then arrange for that money to get routed towards you, but not into your books. And so could it be that in these donor countries, there are crooked members of the donor country government that with a nod, nod, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, said, all right, we'll give you $100 million. You know, we'll get $100 million wired towards you if you sort of do what you say you're going to do and then route $10 million back to me in Switzerland. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I certainly would want to be jumping all over as the head, current head of the FBI, uh, people in our security services. We have the ability, I'm told, and have long had the ability, once you have a bank account number and you have an identity, you, you could go back, the American government could go back and, and reconstruct where all these monies flowed. And there's a big story here that I think involves not just American corruption, but international corruption. Hungry politicians, restricted in their home countries from, from raising the kind of money they needed for political campaigns, doing crooked deals with the Clintons, getting paybacks to help them run, to help them get inserted into higher-level organizations, UN organizations. All of this needs to be teased out. All right. The Washington Post, I believe it was, had stated that there was an op-ed I'm, tr- I'm trying to find it here. I, I've got notes on a computer and notes on paper. But the bottom line was this, uh, the Clinton Foundation, uh, from its start to its finish was a, a pretty well orchestrated self-enrichment, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, organization. I, I, I can't locate it, but I mean, it, it, it's like an open secret, right? I mean, people knew about this. This wasn't, it, it doesn't seem like they were trying to hide this too well, or, or were they? Are they? Well, so, so I, I think, you know, I've, I've had the time to now do a lot of reading over the course of three years, and I've read up on the literature. There's a book that came out, I forget when exactly, it might have been 2007 or thereabouts, called Philanthrocapitalism. And there are various schools of thought that the old way of doing charity is, is wrong, that the right way to do it is to mix it in with business and to just have businesses be more socially responsible. Isn't that wonderful and green and sustainable and all that? This is part and parcel, I think, of an effort of the globalist movement to create a weakly regulated, if not unregulated, globalist structure that is easily gained, permitting large investment firms, large firms, large businesses to engage in unregulated, crooked practice around the world, operating above the level of national laws. And it sounds great in the faculty lounges at Yale, Harvard, and Princeton, and other places. Um, and it sounds appealing to starry-eyed young kids going through high school. But we're moving to this no-borders, globalist environment. In reality, um, that's the last thing we want to do at this point in time, in my view. We have gigantic bureaucracy. In the United States, we spend $6 trillion a year on government, all in more than that, actually, if you look at the figures. Gigantic, ineffective bureaucracies that are now locked in deficit spending of a trillion dollars or more a year. Um, we don't need a superstructure of another government. We need to reform our own government. Then we need to make sure that in the largest unified market on Earth, that is the United States, that we enforce the laws that are already on the books. And the laws that do exist in the United States are grounded in centuries of tradition say that a charity cannot create more than an insubstantial amount of cumulative private gain. And by that I mean 
not financial gain. It's advantage for the donor, rec- recognition for the donor. It's a competitive edge. Uh, can't do that. You can't use a charity for partisan political activity. Yet, that is precisely what the Clinton, the Clinton Foundation charity, in my mind, has been used as a, a, a way to finance political campaigns. And then once, when the Clintons were, when she was a senator, then Secretary of State, then a potential presidential candidate, as a way to, to buy off the Clinton administration by making cash payments towards this unregulated foundation. And it then emerged, you know, this Clinton Global Initiative, the full tale on that has not yet been told. It will take a long time to tell it because there's so many supposed projects that the Clinton Global Initiative did where there's no financials yet on all these projects. That became, you know, a, a, a way to go to a big party initially in New York, closing off the suspicious non, you know, people who wouldn't cooperate and then announce all these grandiose schemes with these Various politicians, hungry politicians, sitting politicians there, concoct all these investment projects with investment, uh, investors and bankers and lawyers and accountants, et cetera, but account for none of it. And, if, you know, if, it's, okay, if, and I apologize for interrupting you, but if you don't mind, if you can speak on the global Clinton, Clinton initiative, and the reason I'm asking, it's a personal reason. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, uh, uh, co-defendant in, in a suit that uh, the claim to fa- or one of the claim to fames of the plaintiff is, of course, the association with the Clinton Global Initiative. So, okay, um, what is that, if you don't mind? Sure, not delighted. Uh, be, be, because uh, it's better, better from you than than in a deposition if it comes down to that. So, tell me. Sure. All right. So, the Clinton Global Initiative. When you set up a charity, and I'm not a lawyer, but I've you know, work with lawyers. Uh, when you set up a charity, a crucial document, if it's going to be a nonprofit corporation, is what's called its Articles of Incorporation. And in the Articles of Incorporation, that's where you learn what a charity is authorized to do. So you, you form this under a given state. In the case, case of the Clinton Foundation, it was in Arkansas. And they say clearly that the tax-exempt purposes, the authorized purposes of this nonprofit are to serve as a records repository and a research center in Little Rock, Arkansas, for the presidential records of Bill Clinton's two terms in office. That's what this thing is authorized to do. That's it. Okay? No, uh, no international projects, no meetings in New York, no alliance for a healthier generation, no fighting HIV AIDS, no fighting Clinton, and certainly not get convening an expensive party, which is the first one they did was in September of 2005, where they spent many millions of dollars to host a party for several days, closed to the public. Remember, this is a publicly organized chair, publicly supported charity. It's not supposed to be doing closed to the public events, where you gather grifters and deal makers together to concoct these grandiose schemes and you know put out these uh, uh, press releases that you're, you're committing in theory, to donate money to some project in the future. That is not a charitable activity. And that is what the Clinton Global Initiative started out to be. It's a feel-good association, go behind closed doors, and it is actually rather amusing to punch in. If you find somebody associated with any Clinton charity, put their name in quotes and punch in the word fraud. That's what I call Ortel's first law, and my only law. And on the Clinton Global Initiative, there was one of the early success stories. There was a guy, an Italian guy, 
uh, uh, Foliari was his last name, who charmed literally the pants off prominent people here in New York, eventually dating Anne Hathaway, uh, the actress, and making a pledge of many millions of dollars at the second, I think, Clinton Global Initiative. And he was a, then maybe in his late 20s, early 30s, young guy, didn't speak English all that well. Bill Clinton brings him up on the stage at the event to congratulate him for generosity, young person, so nice of you to be involved, this involved in charity. Within weeks, the guy's in prison. The total fraudster. No part of his story was true. Uh, and there's story after story after story like that. We recounted some of them already. We'll be doing many, many more. So the Clinton Global Initiative uh, was never validly formed as a charity in uh, 2005 when it started. To do it right, it would have had to take some legal form. It should have been, because uh, it was radically different than the Clinton Foundation. It should have been a new entity. Uh, the Clinton Foundation should have filed, I'm told, and I believe the cases, should have filed to amend its Articles of Incorporation and get a new tax authorization from the IRS because the Clinton Foundation controlled this illegal operation. They had no authority to do that. It solicited money, crossed state lines, took donations from many famous people on the right, the left, Rupert Murdoch, Barbara Streisand, you name it, a long list of people. And it operated in five, six, seven, eight. And then in on September 4th, 2009, somebody went to, had gone to the Clinton Foundation and said, listen, you're going to have to create a new entity because <laughs> this is not working. So why don't you create a new entity, Clinton Global Initiative, Inc., September 4th, 2009. They created it that day. They hold the, the, I guess it would have been the fifth meeting of the Clinton Foundation Global Initiative in New York in September of 2009. And guess who spoke there? Barack Obama. <laughs> right? And it did not have at that moment, they had not even filed an application to be federally tax exempt. He speaks, they collect a lot of money. They don't even file an application until August of 2010. And uh, they get the Lois Learner's Department, they get authorization in October of 2010. So the first question with a charity, I, I've learned now uh, with all this time on it, the first thing you should ask when you think about a charity is, does the charity actually exist? It's the first question you need to ask. And the way you figure that out is you go, you say, what state is this thing incorporated? And you go, or show me, get me the articles of incorporation, Get me the reports in this state, and you won't find any for a political initiative from 2005 through 2009. So I don't know what your case, um, uh, what period, your time period it deals with, but the fact that somebody would take credit for coming up with the Clinton Global Initiative, you know who one person uh, has taken, one very notorious person who has taken credit for forming the Clinton Global Initiative is none other than Jeffrey Epstein. Really? Yeah. That you'll see in the William Patterson book about him, James Patterson book about him, and elsewhere. You'll see it in many places. Wow. Okay. All right. The only thing I knew about CGI or Clinton Global Initiative, um, it was a for-profit company partly owned by, I guess, the Friends of the Clintons, and there was an energy company kind of encircled in right. that energy pioneer solutions. Does that sound? I, I'm not even sure if, if that's if that's even remotely important. Um, 
but, but wow, okay. So September 4th of 2009 is when this CGI was, the Clinton Global Initiative was formed. Okay. Wow. When, when the, what, what I call it, I call it new CGI. It, it, there was new something okay. loosely called the Clinton Global Initiative. But you see, you're not allowed, the whole idea, as I understand the law here, the, the, the aim of the law, the whole idea is to make sure that, you know, Doug Hagman and Charles Hortel don't decide, well, we work with people and let's, let's form a charity, but we're not going to have any papers or legal form or anything. You know, it's just, we'll raise money and, you know, we're good, honest people. We'll make sure that that money goes to a good purpose. You're not allowed to do that. You have to have a formal legal organization. You can't set it up as a partnership. You can't set it up as a sole proprietorship. It must be a corporation, association, or a trust. And to be a corporation associate, or let's pick corporation, to be a corporation, you have to have articles of incorporation, you have to have bylaws, you have to have an independent board, the directors need to follow, uh, discharge their duties of care, loyalty, and obedience to the organization, meaning that if there's a conflict of interest, where you, uh, by action of the charity you could benefit a director, the director would say, uh, 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 no, 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 I can't be any part of that decision, and you know, maybe we shouldn't even do this. You, you've got to put the interests of the organization ahead of your own. And that's the opposite of what the Clintons did. You know, one thing I was doing this morning, you can get the Clintons tax returns on the presidential, uh, there's a presidential elections, um, website that has all the candidates tax returns and in the Clintons case going back to I think 2000. Okay. And what you see is that while Bill was president, he was, he had no business. He couldn't have any business. It was, it was, you know, politician. He had a, maybe he had a pension back then from Arkansas, but he had he wasn't making that much money. He had massive legal bills. The biggest component of the Clintons' income from 2001 forward to 2015, the final year that I believe the tax returns are up there for, the biggest overwhelming piece of income was quote business income. Just at the same time that they're creating this Clinton Foundation, you know, it wouldn't be that complicated for the IRS to say, all right. You're not supposed to operate a public charity for the benefit of a family. So please explain to me how the Clintons were bankrupt on January 20th, 2001, but have made hundreds of millions of dollars of business income with no business experience. How do you do that? You know? And <laughs> yeah, please, the, tell me how. Well, I, <laughs> Instead of getting into the minutia of, you know, this technical rule was broken, answer that question. Right. You know? How, how do you do that without breaking multiple laws? And then how do you do that, putting out in a crucial period, uh, financial, uh, in quotes, audits for 2001 through 2004, each audit being finished in a successive year, successive year. How do you, how do you do all this accounting for, uh, using accounting principles that are explicitly not allowed inside the United States of America. How, how do you do that? It, 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 exactly, and I, I don't think I, I don't. I mean, the, the, obviously, a rhetorical question. Um, exactly. Now, um, we only have about. I just can't believe how quickly this time has gone. We only have about eleven minutes left. The the one thing I want to make sure is because we we have so many people, so many emails right now. Uh, people wanting to know, for example, how they can help you. Uh, get this message out. Uh, obviously, crowdsource the truth. Sunday with Charles, uh, your Twitter feed, 
just if you don't mind, what can people do in our audience to help you get this message out? Um, get, call the call the congressman. Uh, I mean, we, have you? Te- can, can we get? Can we get you like in front of some committees, plural, federal committees, state committees, any committees? Can, can we? Uh, you know. Delighted. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, thank you very much. What can we do? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for that, Doug. So w- w- what we've been doing on crowdsource the truth, with Jason's been doing, we've had several technical problems. Uh, so we have, there are now actually three channels. There's Crowdsource the Truth, then there's Crowdsource the Truth 2, and there's also 21st Century TV. And there, I, last count, I think we've done 72 shows all in. About 50 of them were done the way I'm now doing it, where we, each time we have slides. We have written slides that you can download for free. So uh, we, at one show early on, we posted all the email addresses, you know, the ways of contacting all the state AGs and all the, the various uh, senators and congressmen. But this is a moment, I think, where people, the thing that would help the most, and it's probably the biggest ask, is to find that one honest Democratic state attorney general. Because there surely must be one honest Democratic attorney general who could look at this mess and say, you know what, you know, the Clintons have destroyed the Democratic Party. Barack Obama, one might argue, uh, has has not done much for Democrats. He's done a lot for himself. There has to be a Democratic Attorney General, age 40 to 60, let's say, who looks at this and says, you know, I understand charity fraud. This is a fraud. If I stand up now and say, you know, I'm going to help with this fraud. I'm not going to be a partisan hack like Eric Schneiderman or Xavier Becerra. No. I'm going to stand up and say that across this country, Americans, whether you're Democratic, Republican, conservative, progressive, whatever, we stand united against thieving through a, through a charity. So that would be the most helpful thing. If somebody knows a Democratic Attorney General who can break this law jam and turn, you know, the, the narrative from the, ah, oh, it's just retribution. I mean, no, no, no. This is the largest charity fraud ever attempted. And it's not simply Democrats who are guilty here. I think the people around the Bush family are guilty too. So that would be a big ask. There are many uh, shows. Please, you know, you can download them and circulate them that are up. Please send them around. We're going back through a, a process now because there's so many shows and they're so long. We're going to curate them so that people can put more quickly go through them. Uh, if you're close to a, a state attorney general of any uh, or of any um, political persuasion. Very happy to try to explain what I see here. Uh, Congress, you know, is stymied, uh, but I, I already am in touch with very certain important Congress people, and I'm very happy to try to help anybody move this along. And then if people have connections with these foreign government donors, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that the people of Australia are so rich that in today's day and age, they don't care that $100 million was likely stolen from them, the Australian taxpayer, by routing it through these crooked, crooked Clinton Foundation charities. And larger amounts coming out of France, France is more like $650 million, uh, through this thing, Unitape, the conduit in Switzerland that then sent uh, money into, um, into the, well, $650 million went from Unitape into the Clinton Foundation HIV AIDS initiative, and about 65% of that came from France. So, more than $300 million, close to $400 million came from France. UK sent a bunch of money, hundreds of millions. 
Norway, a bunch of money. Many foreign governments. And, you know, when I see how much I've traveled extensively years ago throughout the poorer countries of the world, particularly in Africa, when you see um, the suffering today in Africa, the suffering in Haiti, and the fact that people's lives could be changed in these poor countries by electricity, water, sanitation, roads, doctors, nurses. We don't need globalist foundations, you know, parading around the world, troops of political, dynastic political families going through these very poor countries with no controls, potentially distributing adulterated HIV-AIDS medicine, engaging in truly harmful projects, and then taking credit for that work back in the United States. That's what we don't need. And so I'm hoping that uh, this is an issue. Why I agreed to spend so much time on it is I don't see this as a partisan issue. I see this as an anti-corruption issue. And I've I, I got a hope that in this country, the overwhelming majority of responsible people in this country are very much against corruption and want to see corrupt politicians in all parties punished. That's right. Our guest, Charles Ortel. Charles, I want to ask you this. Uh, not dealing with the Clinton Foundation, but possibly dealing with Clinton fraud. We've been seeing a story pop up in the news recently about the uh, primary in the DNC and Hillary Clinton uh, siphoning up to $84 million through the local state and local DNC platforms, funneling that money into her campaign uh, during the 2016 election. Any it, What laws, if any, was she breaking there? And is this an area where they might be able to uh, prosecute crimes against her or her campaign? Well, it's a great question. I'm not a campaign finance law expert, but I understand the issue to be something like this. You can you can do these types of solicitations that the Democrats and Hillary did with the understanding that the monies raised in this $84 million solicitation would be broadly distributed to multiple campaigns. So what they did here is they, uh, I believe the essence of the argument is they corrupted the case. They, they said that what they were going to do was you know, raising the money to generally support Democrats, but there were side agreements wherein the monies raised in that fashion were targeted to the Clintons as, you know, as opposed to going to Bernie and, uh, the other people who ran. Um, so it's, it's the typical approach. I mean, what, what Hillary's people were doing, uh, was they, they, First, in my view, they rigged the primary. Maybe even before that, they rigged the whole idea of the election. They, you know, Hillary, remember, I said, opened by saying Hillary was under formal FBI investigation July 10th, 2015. What candidate in his, what, what party in its right mind would allow uh, 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 the supposed front runner to, to, you know, distract the world with a campaign when you're under formal unresolved, serious, uppercase FBI investigation for mishandling classified information. Why would you ever take that risk? So, you know, that that I would be investigating that and I would then turn to the agreement in August that was, uh, was I believe, signed between the National Committee and, and the Clinton campaign that stacked the deck in the primary and I would add in this $84 million suit and, and I would be you know, if I were a Democrat, and I'm not, I don't like either party, but, you know, I'd like to see, uh, an old style, economically conservative, uh, Democratic Party resurrected. And, 
you know, I, I just can't imagine why the people around the Democratic Party, the rich donors, aren't saying, wait a minute, we have been totally deceived by the Clintons. This is outrageous. Give us our money back. Yeah. I, I wish that were the case. I wish people stepped you know, up and I, I, I agree. Now, I, I got about a dozen emails since you've been on, and, and I've got to ask you this question about uh, Chelsea Clinton. Is she is she a, a knowledgeable actor, to paraphrase the dozen or so emails I got? Is she a knowledgeable actor in this? So, yeah, it's a great question. I, I on my show, uh, have been uh, reasonably respectful of her. Because I, you know, her parents, I mean, I don't want to meet any of those people, but uh, I would imagine that it is rather tough to stand up to your parents as Chelsea Clinton. I mean, Chelsea Clinton has never made an honest dollar in her life on her own. She's never gotten a job on her own. And so, you know, plus I know I was, she's not a single parent, but I was a single parent with two young kids. It is not easy, and I had help. I mean, in terms of people assisting me, it's it's not easy raising those two young kids. And so I'm willing to give her a certain amount of slack. But what I've said on my show, I'll repeat now, is that it, 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 there is a time of, for choosing here. You could go around the world pretending that you're a do-gooder after you stand up to your parents and say, look, Mom and Dad, I didn't ask to be born, and I assume... You know, there's good good in both of you. But what I know now, what I see, is that this is a ch- massive fraud, and we need to we need to stop it. We need to fix it. And you know, you've got to atone for your sins. She's got to stand up to her parents. If she will not do that, but if she does do that, I tri- throw her cut her an amazing amount of slack. That would be you know really something that should be rewarded. But if she sides with her parents, trying to pull this thing. This fraud over on the rest of the world now? Well, no mercy. Understood. And that's a very charitable, no pun intended, of, of, of you, your assessment. Uh, people can follow you on Twitter at Charles Ortel. Catch you on Sundays, correct? Every Sunday, it's Sunday with Charles on, uh, which channel? It's, is- it's a, well, we do it on, uh, YouTube. And also Periscope and Facebook and okay. several other platforms. We also do a, a Wednesday show now called Closing In. We're doing two shows a week. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, very, very good. Uh, I, I want to thank you for your generous gift of time. You, you've educated a, a lot of people. You've raised our IQ here in the studio immensely by your, uh, by your presence. For that, I thank you. And, uh, you know, awareness of this. Mia, any time. Um, please give Jason, uh, our best and, uh, uh, just continue fighting and, and, and thank you for everything you've done. And, and we will put the call out. Let, let's find a, an honest state, um, uh, attorney general, if we can, Democratic attorney general. Uh, let's see if we can do that and, and let's see if we can, uh, we're putting the call out now. And of course, yeah, go ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you both uh, sure. for having me on. I really appreciate it. And thanks for all the fantastic work that you do. All right. Charles, again, thank you. And uh, we'll put the call out. Folks, catch Charles Ortel Wednesdays, two programs now a week, Wednesdays and Sundays. He was kind enough to spend uh, 90 minutes coming on our show. 
I got to tell you, folks, uh, this is, what words can you use to describe this level of corruption and criminality? <laughs> there is nothing. You, you know, mean, Joe, and, there's and, no equivalent to it. And then, and then have the, the, the mind-numbed individuals out there on whatever political persuasion say, well, this, got, this church has got a, a high rating, you know, um, and, and Charles Ortel addressed that, that, wait a minute, you can't really review or rate this charity. There's no cap, there, there's a lack of capability there. And then of course how he, how the overlap too, which I think is really critical with the emails and the foundation. Wow. You know what I, when I wanted to ask him though, I shouldn't, I, I didn't ask him. Where's the money at right yeah. now? I mean, seriously, we're talking a lot of money. Where's the, is it like garbage bags in the basement? Or? Well, at this level of corruption, there's so many people you have to pay off. Yeah. Uh, I you're guess. paying for favors. I'm, I'm assuming there's a vault with safes Gold, somewhere. Uh, Remember, these people act like they're poor while sitting on, you know, billions of dollars <laughs> in riches. Maybe somebody so. had checked the woods around her Chappaquiddick Hall, or Chappaquiddick. <laughs> Chappaqua. <laughs> Chappaquiddick has got that on my mind. Uh, wow, folks, uh, buckle up now. Coming up, Greg Hunter. Oh, man, USA Watchdog. Uh, I'm going to have to get some duct tape here. I'm going to be right back. Stay with us. Edition of the Hagman Report. Trump ricks, rips Kerry for possibly illegal shadow diplomacy on Iran deal. Where's the outrage over Kerry's collusion with Iran? Buck Sexton. John Kerry's freelance Iran nuke diplomacy is wrong in every way. Hey, wait a minute. Donald Trump, president-elect, can't talk. Logan Act. <laughs> Logan Act. Uh, yeah, whatever. Okay, John Kerry can't, you know, he's riding his bike, bicycle over over the streets of Europe into Iran and meeting with mullahs, right? Well, here to uh, unload and buckle up, USA Watchdog, Greg Hunter. Uh, uh, that's all i got to say, and we're going to stand back because he's got stuff to say. Greg Hunter, welcome to the Hageman Report, and the floor is yours, brother. We're just going to stay out of the way and try not, not to get hit by anything. Oh, no, a- ask some questions because the Kerry thing brings all this uh, up uh, in full view, and I've been uh, bitching about this since 2015. When the Dale Mailey, Daily Mail, um, UK, uh, their American handle is DailyMail.com, but their UK publication is DailyMail.co.uk, brought this up, and I put this on my website. And I even called, uh, I sat at an hour today, uh, just to tell you how outrageous I, raged I am about this, that nobody keeps, everybody keeps reporting the same lie. The Iran deal was signed. The Iran deal was signed. You know, when the Iran deal was signed, it, it stopped. I called, I called the Rush Limbaugh show today. Got a producer and said, hey, this is Greg Hunter. I said, the Iran deal was not signed. Uh, Julia Fryfield, the Assistant Secretary of Legislative Affairs, wrote, uh, Mike Pompeo a letter. He was then Congressman. I stopped. I, 
that's just crazy, kooky, lunatic. Uh, uh, that's just a, a, a conspiracy, kooky, uh, kook, cuckoo stuff. I said, wait, wait, no, no, the letter exists. This, this, is, a, this is the Rush Limbaugh show today. I said, I don't need to see it. I said, no, the letter is it. I don't need to see it. Click. What? I want you to suck this. I want you to take this in. And I've had intelligence sources tell me, oh, no, no, you're right on the money. And there is a letter, and you can see the letter written in November 19, 2015 by Lisa Julia, Julia Fryfield. Assistant Secretary of Legislative Affairs that she wrote to then Congressman Mike Pompeo, and let me just read you the 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 first two lines. Dear Mr. Pompeo, thank you for your September 18th letter regarding the nuclear deal with Iran, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. In quotes, JCPOA is not a treaty or an executive agreement and is not a signed document. Let me wow. let me say that again. The JCPOA is not a treaty or an executive agreement and is not a signed document. Oh, it gets better. You can read the letter for yourself. Go on my website. Now, I'm not trying to get clicks here. You go on my website and then my weekly news wrap-up, which is the second one behind Pretty Nomi Prince. I don't mean it's like a sexist, but she is pretty and very smart, too. She's got a new book out. But anyway, it says, Iran nukes, uh, rooted to the rescue, and Dems are socialists. If you open that up, you can scroll down to the bottom of the page, and you can and get where I say here, and you can read it for yourself. There's a photocopy of the letter, a photocopy of the letter that the uh, the uh, Daily Mail UK put in. It says, to see the story that contains the, the, the copy of the letter by the John Kerry State Department, admitting there is no signed deal with Iran, click here. It goes to the Daily Mail UK. Daily Mail UK. There is a photocopy about three-fourths of the way down. I, I'm, it gets better. The success of the JCPA will not depend on whether it's legally binding or signed, but rather on the extensive verification measures. Stop. Stop. This is according to the, the Kerry State Department. The success of the JCPOA will not depend on whether it's legally binding or signed. And it's, so it's not... Excuse me. So it's not legally binding because it's not signed? This is not crazy conspiracy theory talk. You can see a photocopy, not a just somebody typed it out, a photocopy that went to Mike Pompeo. Now, God is funny. See, God is funny, and I mean no disrespect. I mean, God is funny that he knows all the punchlines to the jokes and he gets the last laugh. God is funny. Mike Pompeo was a congressman, the only one that has presence of mind to say, hey, uh, John Kerry, Mr. State Department, Mr. Save the World, John Kerry, who's over there now. I'll get to more about what I think all this means. Uh, can I see a copy where they signed this and you get this back? The success of the JPOA, JPOA will not depend on whether it's legally binding or signed, but rather on the ex extensive verification measures that we have in place. Mm. Folks, this is not a signed deal. Now, I'm not that smart. I'm a, you know, the son of a machinist. Uh, my dad had a farm, and, and also, uh, you know, I got a general studies degree, so I'm not that smart. But you do a $150 billion deal at least. And you don't get any signatures from the people who you're doing the deal with? That's too stupid to be stupid. It goes on, this letter, and please go get it. 
if you scroll down about three quarters of the way, you'll see an actual photocopy of the letter. You can confirm with Mike Pompeo's office. I have not done that, but I know it's real. You can, and I've heard actually people talk about it years ago. It just quietly, well, you know, the whole deal wasn't signed. I mean, well, you know, and they just gloss over that years ago. And I said, but they don't say anything about that. That's outrageous. I've actually heard people talk about it on mainstream media, and just the people in the know, they know it's not signed. It's not signed. It goes on to say that we provided Congress with everything agreed to between the P5 plus 1 in Iran and the JCPOA in full compliance with the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act. Uh Yeah, And, and then he says, there are no secret deals between the P5 plus 1 Iran uh, and no JCPOA documents that Congress has not already have. Really? You mean you told them about the pallets of money that you sent over there? Really? Interesting. Uh, let's, the, let's just back up here to a white shot now. Now let's uh, so let, yeah. let's so again again let's let's get this this idiocy out there on the table that most people would say it's not a deal. The second letter, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, according to the John Kerry State Department and Assistant Secretary of Legislative Affairs Julia Fryfield, in November 19, 2015, said. From the John Kerry State Department, this is not what I say, this is what they said, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, a.k.a. the Iran nuclear deal, is not a treaty or an executive agreement and is not a signed document. Let me say it again. The JCPOA is not a signed document. I know I'm being overly crazy, but this is big, folks, and here's why. So you got Macron coming over here for this big state dinner. Oh, man, the Bureau of Gravy and Printing sends out, uh, uh, you know, that's one of the most important things you can get from uh, the Bureau of Gravy and Printing, a, a invitation to the White House that is unbelievably tightly controlled, those invitations. That's more tightly controlled than the uh, people that print, that the same people there print our money. Uh, that's, uh, that's tightly controlled. They got state dinner, photo ops, the girls are in beautiful dresses, it's gorgeous, it's great. Uh, Macron leaves, and then the very next day, Merkel comes over, and they order out at Wendy's. <laughs> okay. Are you with me? <laughs> Why in the hell did Merkel come over here in a rush? I mean, after all, doesn't she deserve a state dinner? Sure she does, but she came over in a rush. Why? Why? Why are they putting pressure on Donald Trump to stay in the JCPOA? The Iranians say they'll start World War III. Why? You are still enriching uranium. You don't have any inspections. The inspections that you have are just a front to make believe they're inspections. You get to to, to do uh, uranium enrichment, and you never signed a document. So you're going to start World War III over a document you never signed? Excuse me? Wow. Okay. Uh, do you think now, now let's fast forward, how in the world could the Iranians get out of carry pallets of cash? You know, the number one state sponsor of terror, uh, it's, they've been the number one state sponsor of terror since, oh, I don't know, the Carter administration. How could they get pallets of money flown in? Well, I mean, you're taking billions of dollars of our 150 and all that other money you guys stopped with the SWIFT system. Uh, and, uh, you know, do you think the Clintons 
and the Clinton Global Charity Front, oh, excuse me, the Clinton Foundation. Do you think the Clintons, the Obama Foundation, George Soros, do you think the players in Europe that are freaking out now in the U.K. and Germany and France, what's going on? You know, you, you know Russia's run by a strong man with a 75% approval rating. Wink, wink. Uh, so, he, you know, Putin's not in any kind of trouble. Uh, Xi Jinping is is a, uh, you know, dictator for life now, so he's not in any kind of trouble. So who is freaking? Uh, Merkel? Mm-hmm. Merkel. Freaking Merkel. Because they committed treason in their own countries. They took bribes. Everybody got a piece of the money. People in government got a piece of the money. People in our government got a piece of the money. Kerry is over there breaking the Logan Act. Okay, I know nobody's ever been prosecuted for it, but he's breaking a federal law. It's a felony. That's kind of like Clinton. You know, let's see. What's, let's, what's worse? Let's see. Do I, do I burn these 33,000 emails under subpoena and let them see what I've been doing with, you know, Uranium One and all this treason and all this fraud? Or do I just burn them? Let's see. It's, uh, it's less of a burden for me, a lesser law to break than just burning uh, the emails. So, Kerry, so I'm going to go over there and commit, um, you know, and Trump is tweeting about this now. I'm going to go ahead and break a federal law, and I'm going to take a chance that I won't be prosecuted for it because, man, I've got to get the arena. I've got to get this tied up. You know, Hillary is supposed to win, and oh, oh, man. And you think Kerry with his foundation, does he have a foundation also? Doesn't he have a foundation? I don't know. Somebody Google that real quick. I think he does. Do you think any of that money came back in that foundation? Do you think anybody in their foundation, Obama's got a foundation, Clinton's have a foundation, uh, all the people overseas and the money that went out, do you think any of those people, I here's what I say, I can't prove this, but I think this deal is too stupid to be stupid. The Century you Foundation, You don't do a way. deal like this, and the Iranians say you can sit on a short stick and pound stand, and I'm not going to sign it. And by the way, get your ass over here and fly me some pallets of money in because I'm going to use it for terrorism, as John Kerry admitted. Yep. So uh, this is the story of stories. But why why are all the European, quote-unquote, allies pressuring Donald Trump? You're going to stay in this deal (laughs) because they're all going to jail, baby. I mean, McCarr wasn't part of the deal, but but Holland was. And, you know, why did he just step down? Just because he had a bad approval rating? When did that ever stop a socialist from running for office? <laughs> Good point. Okay. And and Merkel? And Merkel's not too popular. And, boy, don't you think that her uh, enemies would love to know? You, it, and this was all covered over in the press. That this isn't a story. I mean, even you come and I, I'm sorry that that, uh, that Rush Limbaugh, who I like, incidentally, has a, a an idiot who can't you know think outside the box because um, these guys don't. I don't know what the deal is, but you guys have it. And I'm telling you, I've held the thing up on the air. I've pointed people to the website. Um, I you know they this is a deal with no signature. I mean, listen. This is what it has to be. It can't be anything else. I mean, there's no other way. How could you get a deal like this with no signatures that came with covert pallets of money sent to the number one world sponsor of terror, according to the Kerry State Department, and still today, still the number one world state sponsor of terror? How could they get pallets of money? How could they get no signatures? And no inspections of the military department. You know, gentleman's agreement or gentle lady's agreement. Okay. No, you, <laughs> I, I, they got I'm, no signatures. No, no signatures. Didn't yeah. they always tell us this was a deal? 
So you assume it's a signed deal? Nobody would ever assume it wasn't a signed deal. Man, oh, I'm man. looking at I'm looking at this letter uh, uh, dated. Uh, photocopy. Oh, you, oh, you got it. Well, you, yeah. you, so you you dialed it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that outrageous? I mean, they this person. I wonder what happened to uh, Julia uh, Fryfield. I wonder if she got creamed on this because wow. uh, this is the uh, most outrageous thing I've ever seen. Okay. okay. I mean, you can't. You. Well, well, well so no, no. There's going to be a two o'clock uh, announcement tomorrow, right, by President Donald Trump about the, this Iran deal. Obviously, he's he's been read in on this, right? I mean, he's got to know. Oh, he must know. He, he's got to know. He's got to know that this is not a sign. Pipe, listen again. Let's back up now. Who did this letter go to? Mike Pompeo, right? Congress and by. So what is he now? Let's see. He spent a little time at the CIA. That was probably good for him. And now he's where? Secretary of State. Oh, yeah. The same place that did this deal with John Kerry. Why did uh, Tillerson get fired? Do you think maybe it's because he still wanted to keep this deal? Oh, you mean you want to cover over the fraud? Hmm. Boy, that that's like just me. I'm just a dumb guy with a general studies uh, degree. Yeah, that's just well, me. But I yeah. think a lot of people got paid. I can't prove that, but that's what I think. I, I I don't see how it could not be fraud and treason and what Kerry's committee, even some more treason. And they're trying to pressure Donald Trump. So let me get this straight. You, an American citizen, John Kerry, former Secretary of State, former U.S. citizen, you are at the world's number one sponsor of terror, and you're trying to get them to say they're going to commit World War III if we get out. You're trying to put pressure on the President of the United States to get rid of him. John Kerry, you're a traitor. Mm. Stunning, is it? What do you Why say the, to that? Uh, what do I, I think you. I think you said it. I think you said it all. But but why the silence on this? Well, I guess that's a kind of a stupid question. No one's reporting this. And, and it, Rush Limbaugh just, you know, the producer just. Yeah, fine. Said it was uh, kooky conspiracy theory stuff. I got the letter though. I don't need to see the letter. I guess I should have identified. I'm a former investigator correspondent, but I've called like other shows uh, from time to time. And oh, don't talk about your website. We don't do that. Wait, I'm sorry. Click. I've called that Sean Hannity before. Click. I'm like, okay. Well, I thought you were talking about the press, and being as I was in the press and yeah. work at a pretty high level as an investigative correspondent, I work with all the lawyers, and I figure you want to know how it works. But oh well. Keep guessing. Man, this is no small deal. This is huge. This is a huge deal. When you, it, John Kerry just brought this whole deal back into complete and total focus. Why would this guy be over there conspiring with, again, the number one state sponsor of terror? They never left that list, boys and girls. Right. Why would he be doing that? Because he's not saving the deal, as they want to point out, because they're fraudulent propagandists to the mainstream press. He's saving his bacon. He's getting riling up support to get rid of Trump and pressure him. You've seen the stories about pressuring Donald Trump. They're pressuring. This is the real deal, the reason why they hate Donald Trump. These people all committed fraud. These people are all up to their necks with the George Soros open borders. I mean, the UK has a complete total invasion going on over there, with uh, including the uh, the uh, looking the other way for their Sharia courts. They're practicing their own law over there. You know, female uh, uh, 
uh, genitalia mutilation, that's okay too. Rapes, uh, oh, we're going to ban knives because there's so many stabbings by, uh, you know, Islamic uh, crazy uh, terrorists over there. They're going to ban knives. And but, uh, but America's the problem. Yeah. It's Donald Trump. Well, okay. Help me through this. And aside from the, the self enrichment, what's gained by that? I, I, I'm, I, is there something more to that? I mean, what am I missing? Uh, I think of if you got billions of dollars and you could funnel and, and pad charities electronically with billions and billions of dollars, and and the UK and the leaders there get a piece, and France or they're sucking wind. They're uh, you know the ECB is buying their bonds. Uh, you know the. Uh, uh, the uh, UK, their banks, uh, you know, they still have the pound sterling. They're buying their bonds. They're buying their junk. They're eating their own cooking. Uh, the ECB is buying the bonds of uh, Germany. Germany has Deutsche Bank, uh, okay. which is a uh, the IMF's world's most systemically uh, a, a, a probable failure, a worst bank in the world. Uh, they added another to the IMF. This is according to the IMF. Uh, what's gained by this? I think it's what's gained by this is they don't really care uh, about uh, any kind of national security, they cared about enriching themselves. I think, I think they wanted to aid uh, in a a direct enemy of Iran. Of course, nobody says a word about them building. What is it now? It's up to ten bases in Syria and two in real close proximity to the Israeli border. You have the supreme leader. You hear all these years. Oh, you've misinterpreted the Farsis. You've misinterpreted. No, the supreme leader back in 2015 wrote a book on how to destroy Israel. I think he's uh, working that plan out right now. Don't you? Yeah, it seems that way yeah they, they might be missing a base now but but beyond beyond that oh, yeah, yeah i think that's what the what the bombing was about what they yeah exactly those bases that's what i think so so, so what we have well, really, really so I, what we, I think well, well yeah. i just want to make, make it clear what we have now we've already established what they are we're just dickering over the price now right i mean that that's you know the old saying yes I think that's, that's the only way you can have a deal that's not signed. And then got covered over. And this is the European press, so the American press didn't didn't bring this out. And they didn't say much about it in the Europe. This is an American deal. I mean, without America, this this deal doesn't fly, right? Right. So well, it's, yeah. an American, it's an American Obama deal. But I think the Obama, you know, the Obama administration, the Obama, President Obama has his own foundation. You think they got some money? Yes, I, that's what I think. Uh, the Clinton Foundation, which is another money laundering, you know, giant scam of, uh, you know, the Russian uh, uh, deal. You think they got some money? Oh, yeah. You think all these other people have their own foundations? You think they got some money? Yeah. You think they got paid directly? I probably think that uh, you're going to find out when they when they run the money down, you're going to find out a lot of people got paid that shouldn't have gotten paid when that's treason in every country that's treason and pompeo they have to be crapping their pants at the guy that asked about the letter i think this is the, the irony that can only be divinely uh you know uh, uh given uh, that the guy that got the letter mike pompeo as a congressman from kansas ends up being the guy the secretary of state and he hates the deal the no signature unenforceable deal he hates it and so does trump I think they said he was going to make a uh, a uh, a discernment on what the this this coming next Tuesday or is it this Tuesday? I I thought it was two o'clock tomorrow afternoon Eastern two time. Two o'clock tomorrow. I, okay. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, well, um, I think he's going to back out of it. I don't see how he can't. You got to you. Excuse me. He's not backing out of anything. I was going to say backing back out of what? Yeah, back out of what? No deal. What deal? Show me the signatures. It's like Beavis and Butthead. Show me the signatures. Uh, 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 uh. There's no deal. 
You don't do a $150 billion deal. That's stupid. And this is why I think it's fraud. It's fraud perpetrated on America. It's fraud perpetrated on the people of France, uh, the people of the United Kingdom, uh, the people of Germany. It's fraud. It's treason. That's what this is. This is if we and listen, people like people will, will probably write in blood if you you just stay for years hate Iran. You say, no, I would have really liked a real deal. I would have liked a real deal that would avert war. We didn't get that. Well, they're giving them their money back. They need to shut up. <laughs> they're giving them their money back. Then we should have gotten something for that, right? Not, you know, Mr. Ed, horse-faced carry, well, I guess they will use it for terrorism. Yeah, guess what? They're not going to burn your gated little 150-acre compound, are they? Wow. Okay, well, well, why don't we know? I mean, well, where, where does this go from here well, after well, Trump's... Well, I, I think it goes to trial, frankly. I, I, I hope think so. Kerry should, they should be waiting. The uh, the U.S. Uh, the FBI should be waiting when Kerry gets off his private jet, and they ought to put him in in cuffs right then and there. That's what I think. He's conspiring with Iran, telling them, I think, to tell the world we're going to have World War Three. You better why World War Three? Why for a deal you weren't even forced to sign? For uranium that you get to keep enriching for inspections of your military sites yeah. that never happened? Why? World War Three for what reason? Exactly. What really? reason would you have for that? Uh, well, because Bibi Netanyahu stepped up and said, hey, you're still enriching uranium, which is true. Right. We're going to have World War Three. These people ought to all be in cuffs. I'm telling you, uh, hmm. then the longer Trump stays in office, the stronger he gets. And the, I think they know about this. That's what I think. I don't know. I don't have any personal contacts inside the Trump administration. I don't. But I think they, they can't be this. They are not stupid. I think General Flynn knows all about this. You know, now we find out that, oh, nobody in the FBI thought he lied. Oops, uh-oh. You see what's happening with uh, Mueller. He looks like a, a, a buffoon moron. You know, he indicts these cartoon characters, uh, you know, over in uh, Russia for colluding to destroy America. And one of these cartoon characters jumps off the page and says, oh, really? I want discovery. And the judge says, you're right about that. Bring it. No, no, Mr. Mueller, you don't get any time. Bring it. You indicted these people. Let's see it. Uh-oh. 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 That wasn't supposed to happen. I was never supposed to prosecute these cartoon characters. One of them came to life. Man. Okay. So I'm telling you this, this whole amazing. thing with this. But this this is the story of the story, the story of the century right here. This is the fraud, the treason of the century in the Obama, because people got paid off, I think. I think people in the Obama administration got paid off. I think people in uh, with Obama, I think Clinton, I think the Clinton Foundation, Chelsea, Bill, I think uh, I think all the leaders, you know, Alain, I think he was in office in 2015. Merkel was over there. I don't know who was, who was in, uh, uh, what's his name, was over there, not before uh, Theresa May. But they're all, they had to have people inside their government say yes to this, and they said yes I think to the cash. Nobody well, cared about signatures. They got yeah. paid. Did the check, check cash? Yep. I don't care about the signatures. That, that's the only thing that makes sense. Uh, at that's this the only point. thing that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing because they weren't really 
because the first thing you would have done if you wanted a deal is you would have, and this wasn't a treaty anyway, as they said, which Obama wouldn't have gotten it through the Senate because there had been too much inspection of it because it was always intended to be a fraud. They never intended to um, uh, basically get any signatures. I think they always intended to ju- just take a big chunk of the Iranian money. And, you know, if you get back $50 billion, it's better than nothing. That's right. Okay. Or I don't know what they got back. Eighty billion? I don't know. I don't know what they got back. They didn't get the whole whole one fifty. I don't think. That's the only thing that makes sense. It, it does. Anybody with two neurons touching together would say, "Okay, where are the signatures?" You mean you're not going to sign it? Yeah, no, we're not going to sign it. And then everybody shook, looked at each other, and went, "Man, that's good with me. I'm fine. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you're good. You have to sign it. It's fine." This is the, the, you're right. To me, this is the story of, of all stories. It's the story of all stories. I'm telling you, when this thing blew, and Mike Pompeo was now, and I think it, 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 I am just speculating here now, folks, so I don't have anything. I, I, the only thing I have for sure is this letter from the Kerry State Department that says the JCPOA is not a treaty or an executive agreement. It is not a signed document. That's all I have, okay? Isn't that enough? Uh, now, with John a, Kerry yeah. over there bumbling around trying to save the deal that wasn't signed, let me get this straight, Johnny. You're trying to save a deal that was never signed? Really? Tell me about that. Man. Tell me about the deal that was never signed, according to your State Department. That you're trying to save. Save what deal? Save what? What are you trying to save? Multiple levels of criminality. In, That's what uh, I think. Wow. I can't it, prove it, and I don't have any, and I just want to make sure I disclaim that. Now, you want to do that, too, for your show. But, <laughs> come on. I mean, wow. what do they say in Yale or Harvard? I don't know. If it looks like a duck, it walks like a duck, it's a duck. Mm-hmm. This is quacking. Or if it smells like, never mind. Yeah, um, we got it. All right. And, and uh, hey, hat tip to Greg Hunter, USAWatchdog.com. He's he's the guy behind that. This well, he just had Charles Ortel on, right? Yeah, yeah, and he said to say hello to you, by the way. He's a great guy. Love him. Uh, just add that to the money you got. Ortel said it could be a hundred billion. That's two billion on paper. I, I don't know. He's probably. He said it's a hundred billion too. Where'd they get all that money? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the Iran agreement could have supplied some of it. Everybody wanted a piece of it, and everybody shut up about it. There it is. You can't make sense to, of it other than that. You can't be no. that stupid. And just ask John Kerry, you're trying to save a deal that was never signed? Yeah, your State Department right here says it was never signed. It wasn't signed. You know what? I've had intel sources tell me through other sources. You're absolutely right on the money. You are not incorrect. It is not signed. It's And I got the letter that says it's not signed. It didn't, it's not signed. Yeah, it's, it's right so here. I'm looking at it. What they're really saying is that we're not going to, you're not going to hold us to a deal where we had, we could do anything we wanted. Now, you know, we're going to redo the deal. Oh, you mean we're going to, you're going to make us sign something and hold us to it? Oh, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We've had a good deal. You got our money, damn it. And that's the other thing. What happens if the Iranians blurt out one day, well, we didn't get our 150. You know, we paid uh, the U.K. 15, people in the U.K. 15 billion in France and Germany, and the Obama administration got 6 billion, and the Clintons, the Clintons uh, got uh, 4 or 5 billion, and these other people got money. We didn't get all of our money, and we know we paid for it, so we didn't sign it, and that's why. And we shouldn't have to. We paid our money. Another dimension to this. Greg, we're, we're at the uh, close of the show. We're about to get our plug pulled. I just want to say, man, uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna headline this uh, credit to Greg Greg Hunter from USAWatchdog.com. And man, this is absolutely astounding. It's stunning. Can you I, you can't even get your head around it? It's so crazy. No. But no. the letter uh, from the carry just blew 
believe one thing, this build on this one block. This deal was not signed. Period. The end. That's a fact. Period. Greg Hunter, our, I don't know how to express appreciation to you except say thank you. And, uh, we're, we're just gonna pound the, uh, the environment with, with all, with this news. Again, thanks for that great find and thanks for that cutting edge information. Greg Hunter, usawatchdog.com. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on Hagman and Hagman, right, Doug Joe. Thanks. Thank right. you. That'll well, do it for us. Yep. We'll be back tomorrow.